Welcome. It's Wednesday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And we were just talking about today. Yeah. What is today? I don't know, but I felt like I had a really productive day today. I feel like my day was productive, but not productive enough. It never is for you. You're never satisfied. No. That's the thing. I'm satisfied. I feel like I had a productive day. Your definition of productive day is get out of bed and get downstairs without falling down. So That's really rude. <laughs> That's so rude. That That's so joke. rude. I actually got I a lot of things done today for joke. our little project. Have, well, are we allowed to talk about our project? No. Or to keep it quiet? No. Well, no. Well, well, no. And also for the project that we do talk about, which is our Gen Z report that's going to be coming. We're actually having our first production meeting tomorrow night. Um, and then the Gen Z report, if all things go well tomorrow night, should start next Thursday. Um, I think we're going to say eight o'clock, but I'm going to let them decide. And uh, yeah, so tomorrow night we will be having our first production meeting. We have about six young people that are going to be like doing the show with us and hopefully get to the point where we're not part, like they do it themselves. Like that's the goal. So that's what we're going to be working on. That's a good project too. That is a good project. A lot of projects. Yes. And of course we have, uh, we've had a lot of stories that have been propping up. Uh, For those of you who obviously have been paying attention, Silicon Valley bank kind of has everything hanging in the balance right now. Uh, Not really a surprise. Uh, President Biden has, I, I would say, they would say bail them out, but I say bought them out, you know, or is it one buys one out, the other buys the other out? I just think it's sort of like a symbiotic exchange of resources. That's true. One hand washes the other at that level. Because when the people of East Palestine need help, they scream bloody murder that, hey, you really got to help us. We're dying over here. Wait, it's okay. Just wait, maybe we'll get to it. And know, Trump gets there first. In about 10 months. <laughs> If you're lucky. Uh, but if Silicon Valley needs help, oh, please, jumping on a spring. Like, how quickly can I get over there to help you? And if that's not enough, uh, we have made it very clear that there were many distinctions between Bernie and Biden, despite what the normie Dems want to believe, is that as long as it's a Dem, it's okay. And so, of not course, so much. one of the huge issues, of course, is the environment. And we Uh-oh. have been trying to emphasize just how devastating it is that the president- But it's the Willow Project. The, is the Willow Project the has Willow been Project. approved as if he wasn't bad enough as it is, President Biden, uh. or, or issuing more drilling permits than Trump did in four years. And he's been in there two years. And he said, no more drilling. I just, no well, in all, in all fairness, though, and we have to be accurate if we're going to say that, he has not issued more permits. He has not issued more permits. TM, where the hell have you been? Glad you're here. And of course, uh, yeah. and of course, another huge story, a very positive story out of TM's state of Michigan. They have yes. overturned right to work laws. There's the Democrats doing something good. But of course, this is Midwestern Democrats, yeah. the best Democrats probably. Rust in the Belt country. Dems. Yeah, the ones Those are who real get Dems. The ones who get it. Labor Dems. Yes. And so, of course, uh, right to work uh, is, is bullshit and shouldn't exist. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who really think you can live in a libertarian utopia in this country. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it really, really sucks. I think really, let's just give them a state. We should give them, I think, Wyoming. We couldn't have picked a better time to have the Amazing Atheist come on our podcast because one of our good friends, but also somebody that we both admire greatly, Nina Turner, was the subject of a very popular video that he put out earlier today. Uh, basically, there are the neoliberals insinuating that we, I think Tia may be a few minutes behind. That's probably yeah, yeah, what she said. Yeah, that. that's okay. Uh, insinuating that Nina has gone MAGA. <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. 
Can you explain? Wait, wait, wait. Let's, well, let's she bring suggested TJ that you got to help people. Well, let's bring him in because I, you know, I don't know who a lot of the people are that put that out there. So I am, I am not familiar with whoever the Stooges that put that tweet out. Like, I don't know who that is. It could be somebody with like millions of followers. I have no idea. Uh, who he's a fellow podcaster. He has obviously got the takes to end all takes. And of course, he's got a lot of humor to go with it. The Amazing Atheist, welcome back to Generational Change. All right. Hey. Hi. Oh, sir. He's a king. I am... Yes, <laughs> please. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I mean, Easter's around the corner, but if you want to, you know, if you want to christen me, no, that's fine. I'll, I'll you realize that he's an atheist. I understand, but that's okay. the humor. I'm of just going to, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Out of your king. How I originally ever found you in the first place. And the same reason I actually found Kyle Kalinske was my sort of secular atheist. Like it really was how I originally started watching stuff was based on finding a community of atheists <clears throat> where it was safe. Yeah, like other like-minded people. That's how I originally started, like before it was political. But you were just listening to what we were saying about Nina. And if you could clarify, like, because I don't, I'm not on social media, so I don't follow who this person is who puts out this ridiculous nonsense about I Nina. have no idea, honestly. I was just scrolling through Twitter and I saw um, some guy that was saying like, Nina Turner goes full MAGA. And I was like, uh, what? So I decided to watch the clip. And the uh, the clip where she goes full MAGA was basically her just saying, like, you know, the people in uh, East Palestine, you know, they shouldn't be, uh, you know, we shouldn't starve them or <laughs> treat them any differently just because they were like Trump voters or whatever. And this guy was like, see, it's like, what? <laughs> That's pretty weird. You know, yeah, she was basically just cautioning, like, hey, look, you know, we can't like write these people off or look down on them as Democrats just because they were Trump voters. And yeah. for saying that, she was labeled as like, oh, she's full MAGA now. It's like, what? I mean, it yeah. seems so silly. So, But I have no idea who the guy was that said it. I don't even remember his name at this point. I just looked at a, a Twitter thread he made and responded to some stuff because uh, he had a bunch of other clips of Nina Turner where he was trying to be like, oh, look, she, you know, she has criticisms of Democrats. Obviously, she's MAGA. It's like, all right, right. bro. Yeah, because well, the only two things in the world is mainstream Democrat and MAGA, you know, <laughs> that's the spectrum. Well, that's the menu that we're that's the menu we're allowed to have. Right. Like that's the preferred menu choices. Um, and anybody who does not fall within that choice will get assigned one of those one way or the other. Like if you, you're in one oh, yeah. of those parties, you're you're either with him or not with him as someone who. <laughs> typically has some like pretty weird takes on shit. I find it very strange when people try to put me in <laughs> into like uh, any sort of mainstream political party. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't feel like my views really fit, but uh, you go ahead and label me whatever you want, I guess. Well, we had a person that was down here locally that um, I had noticed in a chat not too long ago when we were filling the state party chair here in Florida. And what the person said was, and they were actively doing voter registration drives. And she said, overwhelmingly, people are either registering as independent, which was the overwhelming majority. Then you have GOP. And then at the way bottom, you have Democrat. And this is somebody who is really involved saying this. And it just goes to show you that this two-party system is heading for some type of a brick wall collision of some kind. I don't know what it's going to look like, but people are getting sick and tired of not being represented 
who would have guessed that it would result in this type of, you know, hodgepodge of distraction and, you know, obviously the, the disagreements become something that is just completely over the top. But when you start going after somebody like Nina Turner, who has always been a champion of economic populism, to say that, you know, she's somebody who now supports MAGA. I mean, to me, it's like they're running out of ideas at this Nina point. Nina Turner pretty much supports all forms of populism. I actually can't think of something where I've ever spoken with her about it, where she wasn't what we would consider in this country on the left. I mean, you, I mean, it, relatively to our, our situation is what I'm saying. Like, I can't think of a single thing where she would ever be on the right. Like, not, I, honestly, I can't think of a single thing. So I don't know what that's about. Yeah, I have no idea. <clears throat> um, I thought it was pretty remarkable that anyone would say that. So, <laughs> And yet um, he missed, he glossed over the whole point of that Joy Behar basically said those people deserve it because they voted for Trump. And the, the complete like stupidity of that comment as if it couldn't have gone off the rail in another location that might've been a Biden voter location. Like the stupidity of that comment, just like logistically. I feel like it really doesn't make any sense either from just a perspective of like, you know, when it comes to this infrastructure shit, both parties have massive amounts of egg on their face. So you really like what party was I supposed to vote for to get this fixed? Because neither one of them was going to do it. Yeah. So like, how can you really blame anybody on either side of the political aisle when it comes to an issue that it, I mean, like I can understand if it was an issue that like trans rights or something where there's really an actual distinctive legislatable point outable difference. But yeah. on, on infrastructure, they've both fucking been asleep for a century. So, like, what what is the option there? What was yeah. I supposed to vote, fucking vote for? And they bring up a really great point with the whole culture war distraction. There was a clip of uh, Ben Shapiro today talking about how just to make sure that children in this country have enough to eat when they go to school, like if you have to have, you know, free lunch, which is what it should be for everybody, quite <laughs> frankly. Uh, and him saying, this really doesn't cost much, so we shouldn't do it. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's yeah. a problem right there. It's, like, it's too expensive. Don't do it. Question. It's too cheap. Don't do it. And all of that, like the idea that uh, food is not the solution to children being hungry. It's like, all right, bro. And Weird so take, many, but okay. Uh, I, well, I'm, I just have to say, I always say that to me, the three, the worst three words is school lunch debt. And I remember when I first heard that phrase, and I know that it pertains to elementary school kids. I know it because I know people down here who have like come across that in our local area where the kid is like shamed at the end of the cafeteria line. Yeah. And, and they've even, some people have even dumped the food in the garbage, but not let the kid have it and then give them the, the PB and J or the cheese sandwich. And they do, it's so, it, this is horrifying to me. And yet we can't we can't seem to afford to give them every other country gives their kids food in their public schools. You can't. Uh, there's nothing you can. It's like these are the kind of issues that really sort of get like swept away over and over again. Like there's no news story about it. If I make a video, I mean, I can't completely blame like media or anything, because if I make a video like school lunches, I know, you know, it's like people are just like. Yeah, you don't get views. You don't get views. <laughs> so it's almost like you have to try to sneak it in 
that's in something that's like a little bit like, oh yeah, the latest crazy issue of the day. All right, so let's talk about something crazy then. What do you have? Because I'm not out there well, in the social. I'll like, be real. I, I mean, like uh, as far as the last, I just got. I'm. I'm. This is my like off week as far as streaming goes. So um, for the last five days, I've pretty much been super low key. I have not been reading a lot of politics or anything like that. So I'm not like super finger on the pulse at the moment myself either. So, okay. Well, I think a great story that obviously needs to be addressed because as we've been very adamant about the fact that, you know, you've got so many of these normie Dems who, and, and I think about people like Bill Maher who always say, there's just such a small difference between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And it's like, no, there's a huge difference between them because I am sure as I could be sure of anything, that if Bernie was the president right now, the Willow Project would not be getting the green light. But unfortunately, because of President Biden and the fact that corporate special interest money will always come calling for its return on investment at some point along the way. And they're calling it in now from big oil, from the fossil fuel industry to go forward with this drilling project, which is going to decimate the environment in ways that will make the Nord Stream pipeline destruction blush. It seems to me that if we're if we're looking at 2024 and looking for reasons to say that Trump or DeSantis will be the next president, what Biden just did, of course, is a plethora of different ones to point at. I do think this is very significant. And you see a lot of these people that try to play the game that are defending him. They, they're not defending this like this is indefensible as far as a lot of people are concerned. That well, I mean, like this is another one of these issues where like no one is surprised by him doing that. And what, once again, like what option did the voters of America really have? Because once again, both your parties are the same on this. This is just another issue where you don't get a say because they both represent essentially the same position. I mean, it's, it's Republicans is like drill, baby drill. And the, the Democrats is like, we, well, we don't really want to drill, but we're gonna. You know, and it's like, oh, well, what a fucking profound goddamn difference. The Democrats do all the same evil shit, but they go like, man, I really wish I wasn't doing this right now. Well, they, <laughs> they always are. act like so they always act like fuck? they're they always act like they're hands forced, right? Do it like proudly or do it with this up. contrition. Like when Biden killed the uh, the rail workers uh, unionization, oh. he did he, oh, all yeah. this. I just, God damn, I wish I wasn't fucking doing this. Oh, I wish I didn't have to, but I do. It's like, so oh, wow, the contrition, that really changes things. You know what I mean? Well, that's why they like, you know, they like to be in the minority party. That's one of the things like I truly believe they like the whole game of that when they're in the minority party. What they can do is sit around and fundraise by scaring people. And then when they're in power, they, they actually are more expected to, you know, why don't they do things? Not that they do anyway, but I think they prefer just sort of being in the minority and just letting the corporate dollars just speak to them. Uh, that's what I think. Yeah. They think, govern I identically in so many regards. Yeah. And then they uh, talk a little different. Well, that's the thing. Cause they're appealing to different groups. So the messaging is different, but the end result is the same. The end result is all roads lead to the oligarchy you know, all roads lead to capital. So, so that's, that's just how it goes. It's, I feel like it's just an empire and capitalism and we're just watching it unfold. 
and they're going to just keep it. And the parties is just sort of like political theater. It doesn't really matter. They have different things that they use for the theater performance. We often make clear distinction when it comes to why certain, you know, mega corporations give the money that they give. ConocoPhillips obviously is a huge donor of both major political parties, much as Norfolk Southern is a major donor of both the RNC and the DNC. And that is why nothing will happen for the people of East Palestine. The ConocoPhillips Alaska's Willow Project, they're doing this in Alaska, which is unbelievable. Well, and and I'll talk about how this is, we'll see if it mentions the indigenous people, because that's a mixed bag there right now. We'll produce an estimated 160,000 barrels of oil per day over the next 30 years. Burning this oil will produce 260 million tons of carbon, equal to the annual output of 66 American coal, uh, American coal plants. The Biden administration's decision to approve the project comes a day after it had said it would ban or limit in some other areas of Alaska <clears> and the <throat> Arctic Ocean. Well, that went out the window pretty quickly. And the approval of the project by the Bureau of Land Management will allow three drilling sites, including up to 199 total wells. Yeah. And, and oh then my God, look the at that. Krem, the, it, when you look at the size of this amount oh of landmass, you're talking about the size of probably Montana and Wyoming combined. That's how much space this is taking. But up I don't think people really this. understand. Like for anybody who doesn't know, like I think like five of our national parks are in Alaska and it is the most raw wilderness. And where that is, is like that's where that is. TJ, how about this for a kicker? He managed to get he managed to get Deb Holland, who is a Native American, out to defend this project. U.S. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland described Willow as a difficult and complex issue that was inherited from earlier administrations. (laughs) And she added that officials had limited decision space to block the project because ConocoPhillips has held leases in the area for decades. You mean ConocoPhillips is threatening to give all their money to Trump and DeSantis if you don't go forward with this project? I mean, we don't even have to read any further. It is just so obvious what this is. I'm disgusted. It's it's a it is a and they're using the native people. Like I see yeah. that happening because I saw something where it was talking about that there is at least one tribe, there is a group of indigenous people that do support this project because as far as they know, they're going to get to reap some of the spoils of it. It'll provide jobs. It'll, well, and I yeah, I mean, like there's always going to be, on that. I mean, there's, there's so much money <clears throat> in doing this that they've literally bought all of the politicians they need and all of the tokenistic native support they need. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like, unfortunately, uh, I mean, just one of those uh, results of, of capitalism, right? Because the second that you put this profit motive above anything else, you know, well, what a beautiful unspoiled wilderness. Well, yeah, that's great, but oil money. You know, well, what about the planet? Well, that's great, but, you know, oil money. And uh, it just seems like, uh, you know, because there's not as much money in in putting in some windmills or something, (laughs) they're just like, well, no, fuck that. You know, hydroelectric or something like that. Or even, I mean, I'm not personally into nuclear, but it is definitely cleaner than a lot of this stuff. Think of it this way. Nuclear has zero carbon footprint, even though there's risk involved, like any uh, energy project, but 
if you're going to put an energy I, I still think I mean like I'm not a nuclear proponent really but I fucking still think it's better than like coal and oil and shit like that so well think of it this way if you were to put a nuclear plant in that part of the world there no one lives there except animals and uh, you know wildlife things like that but you could get the energy you need by not you're decimating the planet in the process. See, that's, this is what, and we're, guys, this is sort of like a, a little precursor. We will be speaking with the Bright Green Lies people of that awesome book that I read, and we will be talking about all of this stuff. But, you know, one of the things that, that we know is that deforestation is the biggest, like if we would actually reforest, that would start to help the problem more than anything. So the fact that they want to deforest is actually the bigger issue than the emissions, <laughs> right? Like there's, it's all a problem, but I think that they sell things like this is better because X, Y, and Z, but it isn't. They're all the same. It's finite resources, people. You're killing the planet. That's all. It's just, it's just it's like it, it, you can't it's only going to be for so long when the, and then when we're deindustrialized, only certain people will be able to survive. Note, hint, it will not be the East Coast urbanites. They will not survive when we lose the industrialization era. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, and you see that more and more uh, jobs done by human beings are uh, being automated away in one shape, you know, one form or another. AI, robotics, and the fusion of the two things. So, um, you know, you're kind of getting to a point, a, a worrying point where uh, the elites, the billionaire class, uh, has uh, complete control of this technology. They own it. And, um, you know, human beings are kind of like more and more obsolete. So it kind of almost, and it seems like we're more and more just sucking up every resource out of this planet possible. So it really just kind of like leads you to this uh, scary conclusion of like sort of the earth as a desolate husk with a very low human population, but that population is being like cared for by like um, an AI sort of like nanny state. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the problem. The only problem with that is it still relies on uh, energy, on major energy sources. And the concept is eventually we are going to run out of energy sources. And when that happens, what the planet looks like um, will be all that's left to sort of hopefully self-repair with like regeneration, which can happen if we would get rid of uh, monocrop agriculture and stop giving the military industrial complex money. Those are two things right there that would significantly help the planet, but we're not talking about that. Right. And I mean, the monocrop <laughs> thing is another just like out, uh, outcropping of, you know, capitalism. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, especially in this country with all the stuff that's like just corn, corn, corn syrup, um, corn starch, whatever the fuck else. I mean, you know, and, and you see these like large, gigantic, like you drive across America, like most of what you see is freaking farmland yeah and obviously like we need farmland but um just like the amount of space that's now just devoted to like i'm gonna grow insane amounts of this one crop whereas there used to be like biodiversity in that area probably like thousands of species of uh plants and you know insects and stuff living there and now it's just like it's all corn it's all just uh <laughs> grass 
you know, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever the, you know, to feed cattle. It's just whatever the hell they've monocropped and just like uh, totally destroyed, like whatever, you know, and I, I understand that like humanity needs to do this to an extent. Like I'm not some like super unreasonable person where um, like we have to be totally burdened by this expectation of perfection as, as beings. Like I understand like we can, we can take something from nature. We are good at that. But this idea that we should just do it endlessly and foolishly as we just hurtle towards a cliff that's when that's you know when you when you're making decisions like that it's obvious that your fucking priorities are fucked up so as a species we're hurtling towards this cliff but we're just like but we're getting so rich doing it it's like you're insane you're a fucking lunatic humanity has lost its mind yeah uh, i think it's 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 all about money well, it's, it's about money and it's also about power. The whole concept of the monoculture thing, the monocrop thing, it's so people like Bill Gates can own the world's food sources. It's so companies like Monsanto, which yes, it's profit for sure, it's profit, but it's about, I, I have this idea that they're just trying to control all of the world's food source, just like Nestle with the water. And I, and I, I think that when you look at the idea of monocrop, that's who it serves are people like that. It doesn't serve the communities that have these in them when he does it in places like Africa. He goes in and destroys their local agricultural system, their local small sustainable systems. And that's what's killing the planet. If we all had sustainable agriculture with rotating grazers and all of that and replanted trees, we could actually solve a lot of our issues. It's not that, like, it really could be done. And yet- yet, No, I I agree with you on that. I just, but- it's like the the priorities are just in the total in a totally wrong place. Yeah. You bring up a very good point again and I think this is a good transition. You know, we've heard for so many years that Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line, but what's really happening right now even though Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the reverse now. <laughs> yeah, the, well the two parties are still, you know, the GOP still represents management. They're still very much a, you know, corporate party. They're still very much the party that more than anything else, the worst part of them is the fact that the most significant and consequential part of their voting demographic are evangelicals. In addition to that, the Democratic Party pretends that there's something other than a bougie, big city coastal elite party that represents Wall Street and Silicon Valley. And yet all the while, we're living in a world today where people believe that the Democrats still represent labor in some capacity, which is non-existent at the federal level. Hats off, obviously, to Michigan for repealing right to work laws. And the best Democrats in the country are still in the in, in the upper Midwest region, the Rust Belt region. But overall, we're not seeing the type of things that would lead you to believe that we're heading on the right path. And so right now, my biggest concern is that. Biden is failing left and right on every major issue. And the only thing they could do is go out there and tweet this idea that, look, we reduced insulin prices by a little bit. Aren't we doing great? And this whole place is falling apart. Yet I don't see any pushback on him whatsoever. None. There's, there is no attempt 
to try to push this guy. Yet on the GOP side, you literally have a war brewing right now between Trump and DeSantis. And there will be other people that will get in the way, so to speak, and they'll create this, you know, big, robust primary situation. It's looking so obvious that the GOP is going to win in 24. And yet on the Democratic side, it's like they're just letting it happen. Why do you think that is? Um, I really don't know if you can, I think politics is, is losing a certain degree of predictability. Uh, I think a lot of conventional wisdom is sort of out the fucking window as of late, uh, just because of the very strange place our country is in, uh, psychologically. So I have uh, really no idea who's going to win in 24 I want to believe that the Democrats will be punished for their terrible lackluster performance, but um, I'm not really sure that that will happen. I think that there's a pretty good chance that uh, people just take a look at this choice once more and go like, all right, um, crazy versus ineffectual. I guess ineffectual is better than crazy. Or maybe they're like, I'm tired of this ineffectual bullshit. It's time to roll the crazy dice. And uh, I don't know. Like, it seems like, you know, all of the things that I, I feel like when I was uh, a little younger, I used to kind of look at for these presidential elections, like, oh, yeah, this thing and this thing and this thing. These are like previous metrics. Here's like Vegas voting odds. And those have usually been correct. And, um, you know, but it seems like all that's just kind of out the window. Uh, so I don't really know if the Biden administration is throwing uh, its a, a chance away or if they're just going to continue to bank on, look, those guys are fucking nuts. You really want to put them in charge? I mean, and like you said, they kind of love to be a minority party anyway. But I mean, I'm sure that they're fine either way. I'm sure both the parties exactly. are probably fine either way. Like, yeah, we're oh, we're the we're the uh, we're the scrappy underdog again. Gotta yeah. fight the power that's, oh, they're doing all kinds of evil shit, you guys. It's a nightmare. Get us in charge. We'll fix it. And it's, it's just a fucking narrative. It's just like different little issues to split people up. That's and the, distract and the fact that like, like, I'm not saying these parties don't have any difference on any issues, but like all, I noticed that the stuff where they really differentiate themselves from one another is all the stuff that doesn't really matter to a billionaire somewhere. Like, you know, trans rights, maybe that's important, but it's not that important to some super rich motherfucker. He yeah. doesn't need to give a shit. He's like, my, do I get my mansion? Do I get my billions of dollars? Do I get my private jet? Okay, I'm still good. Silicon Valley Bank would be a perfect example. They did, uh, somebody tracked down, I guess, like their hype video that they did, basically showing their diversity and how great it is that us masters of the universe don't really care what you look like or, you know, what you do in your personal life, as long as you are maintaining that this system is broken and we're going to benefit as a result of it. And to me, that says all you need to know. And all the while, the people of East Palestine are dying. It's obvious that that's what's going to happen. And this administration has done absolutely nothing All to right. help them. On top of that, the second Silicon Valley gets kicked in the nuts ever so briefly, they can't get over there fast enough to get on their knees and help them and literally pet them and, you know, the rest to make them better because that's how this works. 
I don't know how many more signs people need to see that this red blue thing is a crock of shit. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that um, there's not much of a difference. I don't think that there's no difference. I think there's not much. And I think that it's all on social issues. I think basically uh, every once in a while they pick a new group of people to just like hang their rights over the flames. Like, oh shit, are we going to drop your rights in the fire? Oh, and then the other party's like, we'll stop them, vote for us. Oh yeah, we might do it. We might do it. <laughs> it's like, okay, shit. Political and by the fear. way, the, uh, money is the mark of the beast. Fuck digital currency, currency in general. The minute that you've decided the dollar sign was your God, that was the mark of the beast. Uh, but yeah. I am an atheist. So yeah, I'm not, I don't believe in a literal fucking mark of the beast. Yeah, we're, I'm not being- In a, in a metaphorical sense, money was the mark of the beast. Sorry. All right, so I have a question for you though. So what's with the, like the, the costumes and stuff? Like, what, is that some sort of like, is it a game thing? Is it a, it's definitely cool. Uh, the crown, um, is so that I can, uh, eventually, uh, ascend to the throne of humanity once I, um, take over and solve all these problems, you know? So. <sighs> all right. But it's not any particular, like, like show or thing. No, <laughs> I don't consider it a show. It's just, uh, it's just my weird existence. That's all. No, I dig it. I think it's well, cool. I have a headdress that I made for myself. I actually made myself a headdress with antlers and vulture feathers. And it's really freaking cool. It's like the coolest thing I've made. And I don't wear it because I think, you know, it's well, it's almost like for like a Vegas dancer type big headpiece, but it's really <laughs> cool. So I fully appreciate that just that you feel dope. the need for it's really cool. I'll have to bring it in here sometime because like I made the antlers even. Well, They're I not make this myself, but yeah, you have, this, you have antlers? No. <laughs> Do I? I? I have masks. Well, you, you might have horns. Puppies. No, I, I remember when I worked at um, Outback Steakhouse in Indianapolis, the people, and, and I'm being Jewish, the people in the kitchen, they actually were shocked that I didn't have horns. Well, this was in, this was in 90, like two-ish, 93. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> there you go. So the Night King Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, you know. Is that, I don't watch that. I, I do not watch Game of Thrones. I actually haven't watched a single episode. I haven't seen Breaking Bad. I haven't. He doesn't seen, sit still long enough to commit to shows. Yeah. Well, I did commit. Well, to be fair, doing the politics stuff, I did watch uh, House of Cards. That's a stretch. That's a show that, according to Bill Clinton of all people, is as accurate as anything regarding how things work in D.C. Does that and surprise think, anyone? Are you really supposed to be saying that out loud? <laughs> Did you watch that? Did you watch House of Cards? Uh, I watched the first season. Yeah. I found that that was pretty much like enough for me. Like I liked it, but I was like, I don't really feel like I want like an insane amount more of this. So I kind of like, and then, you know, after all the stuff happened with the, you know, he, he had to leave the show obviously for his, you know, whatever. But um, uh, yeah, I, I was kind of glad uh, that I'd, I'd checked out early. Um you know, so whatever. But yeah, it was a cool, it was a cool season. But yeah, I've watched all those shows because like pretty much uh, I'll go through like periods of like hyper doing stuff. And then like, it's like, all right, now it's time for me to shut the fuck down for a, a period of time. And, and you binge watch. That's when, that's when like I'd go into zombie mode and just like, 
more Sopranos or whatever the fuck I'm watching, you know? Yeah. I did watch The Sopranos. I'm a Jersey guy, so of course that's... uh, It's binge watching. I appreciate it. Well, that probably is the best television show ever made, so why not? That's your favorite, Sopranos? I don't know. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's the best. Okay. I I, I don't know. I'm not going to... I like, like for me, Breaking Bad was like one of the better series that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, but like that that show rips... That show takes a lot of fucking pages out of the Sopranos playbook though. Of course. Okay, so you're just basically saying it's not as original in terms of Well, that's like Boardwalk Empire. It's the same thing. They just kind of they they find well, How many new strategy. ideas do you people think there are? That's the problem. There's, there's too much stuff. There's, well, there's, there's too, too many stuff. superhero franchises as well. Well, yeah, are. you know. I mean, everything has its little day in the sun, you know. The that's superhero true. shit, I mean, that's uh, that'll fade away. That's that looks like it's like got about 10 more years in it 15 maybe. yeah I, I mean honestly it's like you make one great horror movie you make one great action movie it's like okay how many different ways can we create this do a prequel a sequel an origin story. it's like oh my god yeah but hey you know once again i mean capitalism fucked this shit up because if uh if there was more of a i mean if money was less of a profit motive there and people were just like we love we just love making movies like it wouldn't you wouldn't see like we just love making <laughs> 12 dozen of this same movie over and over again. Yeah. So. Although I will say now that uh Mr. uh Mr. Quan, aka Short Round, has won the Oscar, and now everyone's talking about an origin story for him in, in, in an Indiana Jones universe or oh having him God. as an adult short round tactic. Well, they're making like, well, the new Indiana Jones is coming out, right? That's right. And so Which now you can crazy. easily see where they're going to offer him a boatload of money and be like, hey, would you like to reprise the role of Short Round and basically be the heir apparent to Indiana Jones? It's like, yeah, I could see that happening. Oh Absolutely. And either they're going to choose, whichever's going to be more profitable and get more juice from it, either they make a movie or they make a series. I would say a series is probably more likely. Yeah, I, I kind of have a, I don't know, it, it was something, it's pretty recent, but I kind of just made a decision at a certain point. Like, I'm done with... Uh, and when I say I'm done, I don't mean like never will I do that, but I'm strongly like weighted against seeing anything that's a reboot, a remake, a sequel, a fucking another entry into a fucking long, tedious franchise that just stretches back into infinity. Fuck that. Like, give me yeah. something different. So that's why I don't know. I've been I've been trying to like, you know, reward movies with my attention that are like a little bit more off the the beaten path, but I don't really like like super artsy shit either. So basically that means like weird schlocky sort of concepts. And I think that America is kind of starting to come around to my way of thinking because cocaine bear was a surprisingly big hit. So I didn't see that. I don't even yeah. know what's going on. No, what was that? Is that is it's that literally a about a fucking one? bear that does cocaine and oh, kills yeah. a bunch of people? Yes. Okay, yes, yeah, so that's not for me. It's not based on a true, <laughs> based on like a true story or something. I think it is. It's like based what? on an incident. That is that like up happened. there with like the it's, the tiger it's based person? very, very fucking loosely on a true story. The true story is a bear found cocaine, ate it, and died. But the movie story is a bear found cocaine, ate it went on a rampage, killed a bunch of people. And um, that's pretty much it. That just, to me, those kinds of movies just sort of give people license to kill bears. Uh, for those of you who are wondering why- Oh, I mean, have- it, it, it's uh, it's pretty tongue in cheek. For those of you wondering why we don't- I don't think have- any real lessons from that one. Yeah. For those who wonder why we don't have a huge, huge audience when we live stream, it's because our show is Shadow Band. 
we made a decision or Jen made a decision uh, early on when we were running our show that she was going to make herself known to the entire political establishment regarding Julian Assange. Yes, I did. And it clearly paid off because they clearly do not like that we talk about the fact that we are huge supporters of the First Amendment and that either you support it or you don't. Yeah, so There's we're, no we're gray. And, and I'm not exactly sure what he means to be shadow banned, but I know that we are definitely on the list of people that do not get like any sort of help with our channel. And like we are so trickling slowly. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, we are the only podcast, if you will, uh, in the last week that had on Matt Taibbi. He's only gone on huge shows like He's on Fox. Fox and, um, you know, I, I think he was on he was on CNBC or something like that. Point being is the only way you would know that he was on our show is if you search for Matt Taibbi and you search specifically on the given day and then our thing would pop up. It's not going to pop up on any algorithm, no. even though he's one of the most searched names on the Internet right now. Our show will al- come up along with Debbie Wasserman Schultz. What a surprise. I assume that you caught wind of that whole fiasco that happened a week ago. Which one now? The one where uh, Taibbi was summoned uh, or was invited, I should say. It was Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger were asked to come to the House committee here, whatever it was, about the Twitter files. And he had to be questioned and they mocked him as a so-called journalist. They were so rude to him, specifically our congresswoman, which is so rude to him. And he was there voluntarily. This wasn't like a criminal proceeding. She's not prosecuting him. He was voluntarily there to ask questions, to answer questions. And they were so rude and disrespectful. And the hard and the hardest part about it was watching fellow content creators who claim to be on the left basically giving a tongue bath to Debbie. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, what, what is this? It's because they hate Elon Musk so much yeah, that that's what 100%. they're, that, that they're willing to say Debbie was right and going after Matt Taibbi when why the issue has nothing to do with any of that. Well, why don't you just say, listen, we cannot stand Elon Musk. We do not agree with what Matt Taibbi did, but we don't need to hear a word from somebody like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is the bane of everyone's existence in politics, or at least should be regarding integrity, ethics. And ethics, and corruption. Her talking I about ethics is the funniest thing. Still seeing people act like, oh, well, Debbie really stuck it to him. First of all, even if she did, which she didn't, I, I would look at this and think- You got to watch you, it to see this. You, it's ridiculous. You, you couldn't have a better spokesperson for the Democratic Party. I mean, pick anybody else. Okay. You could have picked Nancy Pelosi and that might have even been better. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to, so this is the quote that she made. And I wrote this down because I still have yet to have anybody explain it to me. Maybe you will understand this. This is the quote that she said to Matt Taibbi. Hypocrisy is the hangover of an addiction to attention. I mean, uh, it kind of sounds like a song lyric. <laughs> okay, but what does that mean? I don't know what that means. What I know is- I don't know. I, it's, I think it's something you could just kind of read whatever you want into it, you know? It's it's a meaningless platitude, but I just, to me, hypocrisy is Debbie Wasserman Schultz talking about hypocrisy. Um, you know, or actually more that's irony. And we've, but got, she, but and we've got people in our chat right now saying that Matt took a huge L and and that it was, I'm like, what are, what are you watching? Him and Schellenberger were like, laughing at them well yeah like i said i kind of uh have been tuned out for yeah. the last five days or so about pretty much any politics so probably a good thing yeah i don't you know, know. <laughs> i don't know much about it sounds it, like uh sounds like something i should probably know more about before taking a strong position on so yeah uh, just go watch it you just gotta watch i'll take a look 
the deal is, is they were given information by Elon Musk. And so the information they put out was cherry picked and given to them. That's how journalism works. Sources give you things, you verify whether they're true, and then you put it out. You can't create information given to you that doesn't exist. You don't have to hold back on putting out true information and see if the Democrats did something or the Republicans did something too. You know, and they basically called him in and wanted to know his sources. I mean, this is like the oldest thing in the book when it comes to something leaked that we don't like. It's like, well, it only leaked because the uh, the opposition. So, I mean, like it's it's. That's pretty normal reaction, that kind of shit. It's very fascist. And the whole concept of trying to get them to reveal source, it it felt like a McCarthy hearing to me. And he's sitting there voluntarily to answer questions. Like at some point, I think I would have just stood up and left. There are people who feel that the reason why Debbie got one over on him is because he presented information that was that was given to him by whomever. Let's just assume it's a source of Elon Musk, whatever, uh, that the information was incomplete or that it was heavily slanted to make the Democrats look bad. Okay, and that may all be true. The only thing that matters is, is the content true or is it a misinformation? Is it a lie? Is the information presented fabricated? Is the information presented uh, uh, false? Did they, you know, right? But I mean, the thing is that either one of the political parties at this point, when presented with something like that, is going to have an identical reaction, uh-huh. which is basically they're both they're both going to say the exact same thing. It's like, well, that was that slanted information. That's fucking presented out of context. Blah 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 blah, and that's going to be the line. I mean, so like whether it's, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz or whoever it is that comes out there and says that, that's going to be said. Whether you're making accusation against Republicans or Democrats, no matter how much evidence there is of it, one way or the other, you know, they're, they're, that's going to be the tactic. That's going to be the line. So I it really doesn't surprise me that much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, go. it'd be nice if if the government was actually like, oh, yeah, all right, fine, we, we did that, blah, blah, blah. Here's restitution of some kind. But, uh, you know, that's really not the nature of... <laughs> of our government at this point in history or any probably no, other. And we see, and listen, we see it all the time. We see that there are things that are taken out of context on both sides. It's all about one-upmanship. It's all about trying to make your side look good and the other side look but bad. But you don't take it out on the journalists. No. You don't go after the journalists that are presenting the information. Are, That's not the problem. There's some. We always suspected that there is collusion between big government and big tech. That's well, not isn't a stretch. That- I mean, look, when one party starts uh, doing something, the other party instantly starts doing the exact same thing. It's like, oh, wait, does that tactic work? And, you know, when Donald Trump was confronted with something he didn't like, he would just say fake news. And, uh, you know, now, I mean, the Democrats are going to do the same thing (laughs) when they're confronted with something they don't like. They're just going to be they're not going to go. They're not going to say it the same way. They're not going to be like fake news. No, they call him in gonna, and accuse him. They're going to fucking, but they're going to put it out there with some kind of like the same basic messaging. Like, oh yeah, is, you can't this trust the whole this. Thing. And, we, and we love Carrie. We have great supporters in the chat. Elmo Nostradamus, lying by omission is still lying. There was, th- th- there's no omission. That, there's no omission. That's not lying. You don't have to like Elon Musk and you don't have to like that they're only trying to shave the Democrats. <laughs> what matters is whether or not the information is true. Is it true? Then that's what matters. It's not Matt Taibbi's job to cover, <laughs> to dig around right. when something is given to him to release in, in, in a whistleblower type scenario. It is not his job as a journalist. I would just to say go- that uh, for me, you know, uh, maybe there's something I don't know that you guys could like fill me in on. 
Sure. But when it comes to the Twitter file stuff, my main thing is like, um, it just like, it didn't really seem like there was much there to me. There isn't. So, I mean, no. I don't really understand why there's congressional hearings going on on this shit. To I don't with. either. Because it makes the Dems look bad because it shows that there is that, that we, the working people get nothing and we're going to like it. And we're just going to accept the fact that we are completely effed. And see, I don't see how it makes them look any worse than anybody else. The concept of collusion between the deep state and, and our media to me is just, yeah, so, and then what? The right. fact that he had some evidence and some information that made the, happen to make the Dems look bad, so we all know that it could just as easily yeah. make the Republicans look bad. That's not the point exactly. of this. I mean, there are people who really believe that Taibbi shouldn't have released anything. Just that people shouldn't know about this because it makes the Dems look bad and it doesn't uh, put forward anything regarding what the Trump administration did and stuff like that. It's that like, wasn't given to do, him. Do you see us cheering on the Trump administration? Like, he would, he'd Trump, love to for somebody to give him that information and he would have released that too. If and this this just that. goes back to kind of like the thing with Nina Turner. You know, it's like you say anything against the Democrats and it's like, you might as well, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, it's like, well, you're basically thrown in with Trump then. It's like, well, <laughs> so the only, so basically the only political positions I'm allowed are mainstream Democrat or yep. mainstream Republican and no other, nothing else can be allowed. If you, if you say anything outside of that paradigm, we will figure out how to put you into it somehow. And it's like, I'm not part of it. Yeah. I can't be the things that I believe are not congruent with any of it. So <laughs> I don't believe in it. So stop trying to put me into it because I'm, I'm not a part of it. Okay. Uh, and, and when somebody says, you know, this about Matt, and all I'm thinking is, do you understand yeah. how many thousands and thousands of pages of stuff was released? I mean, uh, if these for, people I, have no idea is, how journalism if, works. If, not, if, if none of you are a journalist, honest to God, please just You have stop. no idea how this works. Yeah, You're just jumping on a partisan, tribalist, hack job that's all you're doing you're just jumping on board like a bunch of ovine well i think what's happening here is you know to to kind of defend the audience a little bit i think what's happening here is basically there's two narratives that are going on and they're both true because the narrative that the audience is saying is like matt is a useful idiot for whoever put this information out there which to some extent is true because like yes. It probably was selectively released to him. But if you're a journalist, it is your fucking job to publish true information if it's fucking newsworthy. <laughs> so I, I, if, I, you, I, if, I, if you're given something that's like, this is partisan shit, well, let me look at it. Is it true? Yeah, it seems like it's true. I'm going to print it. That's the job of a fucking journalist. Right. So, But like both things can be true. Someone could have been using him, but also he did his job as he's supposed to do his job. Now that being said, like I said, I'm I'm hearing about this shit in the context of this conversation. So if I'm saying something wrong or ignorant, then you know, forgive me. No, no, it's, it's true. And and this again just gets back to the point where <coughs> you know everyone has a an, an opinion about well, he shouldn't have done it this way, I, he shouldn't have done it that way. And all I'm thinking is, even if that's all true, that's fine. Did what did he lie? Now, if he lied, 
they would have been able to expose that. At Their the argument is that he wasn't that that he was that he didn't put up on other sides. Here's the thing, right? Matt Taibbi is a journalist. He makes money for what he does because that's what he does for a living. So like for Debbie, she's like, you made money off of this. Yes. And he got more followers. Yes. That's part of his job. He's a journalist. So yes, that's what he does. And you know what? He has zero obligation to the Democratic Party. Zero. And seeing anybody, I, I t- TJ, more than anything else, the, just, just the idea to even wrap your head around People defending Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Like the fact I even have to say that, I can't, I just, I can't fathom it. It's so beyond the pale at this point that we are living in an alternate universe. It's almost like I want to pretend like I'm a king and put a crown on and go into a fantasy world because I'm better off there. At least there I might be able to control the narrative as to what's going on. Here I am looking at people saying this in real time and hearing it out there in the open and just thinking, do you forget what this woman did? Do you forget, again, anybody else? You could have had anybody else and that should have been the demand. It should have been, I don't need to hear a word about integrity regarding political decision-making or journalism. Journalism, journalism ethics. And you're out there saying, well, but but she really got him. No, she didn't get him on All anything. this is doing is like prosecuting journalists for doing their job. That's all you're doing, which is basically controlling information, which, by the way, is extremely authoritarian. That's fascist. And I have to say this because you're driving me crazy. Dirtbag leftist. Glenn Greenwald is not the be all end all arbiter of journalistic ethics. I'm yeah. just going to put that out there. He's a good guy. He's done some good work, but that does not make it you be support, you, true. TJ, you support uh, Julian Assange, right? And that he shouldn't be incarcerated for what he did? Yeah, I don't think he should be. Okay. So, same argument here. He released information at two very significant times in our lives. He released the information regarding torture in Guantanamo Bay and the different things that the Bush administration was doing regarding. Uh, basically killing and torturing people for the purpose of prolonging a endless war, which should never have been begun, should have even started to begin with. You have these war criminals that are still walking free to this day. And then you have the release of the John Podesta and Hillary Clinton emails, which flipped it on the other side and made the Democrats look so bad. And then they still threw Bernie under the bus. They still went ahead with what they were doing. And ultimately, Donald Trump became president. Now, you could say whatever you want, but as far as I'm concerned, we can all agree that the prosecution of Julian Assange should not exist. Well, even though Matt Taibbi is not being threatened with prison, I don't hear anybody who defends Assange or defends journalism saying, man, he really shouldn't have released that information about Hillary Clinton. That really swung the election. It was totally dishonest and it totally slanted the message that was being conveyed here. Well, you're doing the same thing right now. You're basically saying, I don't particularly like the way that Matt Taibbi released some information and not all. I'm thinking... But no, here's the thing. If if I had information that was important to the general public to let them know that, hey, we have a podcast. We try to put information out there that we hope would be relevant to the general public. But because we are clearly not showing up in any way whatsoever on the algorithm, that it's probably not good that that's happening. Well, there's not a lot we can do about it. But if people that are supposed to be on our side are basically saying, well, you know, uh, I, I like it, guys, but I kind of understand them shadow banning you because you only talk about such and such. 
No, either you believe in the First Amendment or you don't. It's it's <clears> just it's so fucking cut. And, and dry. It, well, the truth is, the only people that really have a problem, seemingly, with it are the people that it's about partisan politics for them. If you were to take partisan politics out of there, and we didn't mention the political affiliation or party of the people that we're talking about, then it really wouldn't matter to you one way or the other. It would be exposing the corruption that it's exposing. The fact that you're turning it into a political thing and a partisan thing and making it a circus is just facilitating a facade of a government that really has nothing to do with either of those parties. So you're just I appreciate that you think that what he did matters, like because one side and the other side, they're the same side. They're the same side. So that's the problem. But I got some good news, TJ. You do get to save some money on your insulin. So if you were concerned about whether or not you would get a little bit of a reduction in the price of your insulin, well, guess what? The Biden administration did that for you. So we should all just be grateful, I guess. Thanks. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, uh, when it comes to these political parties, though, I mean, um, someone being dishonest or having a, a, a spotty track record is kind of like a plus because they can... You know, hey, they've gone out and lied before. They can lie again. They're good at that. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, like, it's kind of like a credit. I mean, like, I mean, whatever figurehead you put to it, I mean, like, you know, like, you guys, like, anybody but Debbie Wasserman Schultz, but, like, <laughs> you're gonna where are you going to find one with integrity? Like, put that one, put the one with integrity up there. It's like, which <laughs> one is that? <laughs> where, where's that one? Yeah. So, it's like, what, you know, they're all fucking corrupt. But uh, I just don't know uh, how you're going to really solve that. Because um, it's like, I feel like the reason that people get bent out of shape about shit like, you know, these leaks or whatever, or the, you know, the Twitter file stuff um, is, is probably because the, you know, the, the tactic that's used where we're all just funneled into this Democrat versus Republican paradigm, no matter what. Because no matter what we do, it's like, here you go. You're in the paradigm. You're in the paradigm. So uh, people get very invested in it because it's like, well, I guess I'm in the paradigm. I got to go against this and I got to be for this. And I it become, it, you know, it gets to the point where um, what you actually believe or want, like people stop caring about that as much. It's like, well, you know, obviously the world could be better, but we got to play this game. It's like, no, you don't. You do not have to play that game over there. There's yeah. a third way. Embrace the third way. I think Dustin has a great question. Well, and, and can we just say like that the spoon fed comment is ridiculous because here's the thing. All journalists are spoon fed. They're given information that they're given by sources. That's what a source does. So would you say Daniel Ellsberg was spoon fed the Pentagon papers? Like deep throat. Right. Like all journalists, if you have a source, that's who yeah. gives you the information. You verify if it's true. And, right. if you and that you the know, public should know a lot of time the source is going to have an agenda too. So. Absolutely. And that's how it works. But that's, you can't avoid that. The goal is to balance. Is this information important for the public to know? And is it true? That's it. It doesn't matter if someone else might have a different opinion. Is, is this true? And is there in a public interest? That's his job. So His job is not run cover for the Democrats. So being the amazing atheist, and I think this is a great place to wind okay. down the conversation. So being the amazing atheist, how much similarity would you say there is between political cultism and religious cultism. I mean, <laughs> I would go pretty far on that. Um, to me, there are, 
I've kind of broadened my thinking on this to there's always going to be ideology and there's always going to be dogma. But is the dogma from, is it derived from reason or is it derived from something else? Like desire. <clears throat> like desire for an afterlife or desire for, for money, whatever the desire may be. So when I look at politics, I see a lot of the same sort of irrational dogmas that I see in religion. Because in the same way that religion is often motivated by power or influence or some fantasy of heaven, um, the dogma of politics is similarly motivated by desire for power, money, influence, and maybe a heaven on earth, maybe a heaven beyond, because a lot of times religion and uh, politics are intersected, especially in this country. So, um, yeah, I think there is a lot of connection directly and a lot of things that are pretty comparable. Um, but, uh, and, you know, it has its own little rituals and, you know, God bless you and God bless America. It's the end of every speech, but it's also, you could look at it as like the same way you look at an amen has its own symbol, American flag versus the cross, two symbols that are often paired together. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty strong um, comparison, honestly. Yeah, I think so too. People like to have teams. People are very into teams and they're very into labels. Everybody likes to know what my label is. Well, are you a socialist? Are you a communist? Are you a, like, everybody's interested in my label. I've, I've sort of officially decided I have none. I am not an ist. I don't have an ism. I am without ism. Yeah, and, I mean, um, I, I pretty much let people self-apply those to me. I rarely, I mean, I'll call myself an atheist because it comes down to just one position. Correct. You know, right, there's, there, I, there's very few I isms I'll apply that. to myself. Like, I, I, you know, and usually I try to keep it vague. I, it's the same thing I don't like where you get to like, uh, especially you'll see this, especially in metal genres of, of music, like these subcategorizations down to the Nats ass. And um <laughs> I feel like I, I try to avoid that. Like if I'm going to adopt a label, it's going to be something pretty broad that maybe just answers a simple question. Right. Like, uh, do you believe in God? No, I'm an atheist. <laughs> yeah, that so. one I do take. Like I'll, I, I own that I have for years. I've never not been an atheist. Like I was always an atheist. I grew up like I never, I never believed in the mythical sky being any more than I believed in Santa Claus ever. Like yeah. it was always the same to me. I never thought that it was never even a consideration to me that that was a thing, that that was real. I always thought it was something that people used to make themselves feel better. Kind of. I was the same way. Like I remember being a kid and like uh, my parents were telling me all yeah. this. I remember putting up a bunch of like a blockade over the door when I lost a tooth. <laughs> so they'd be like, you know, to prove the tooth fairy didn't exist. And it was them <laughs> busting in. I just used it as an opportunity to get money. Well, I mean, yeah, but I wanted like, I to knew prove it was them. But I, I, yeah, I mean, wanted I wanted to, to, I knew it was them too, but I wanted to, I wanted to, them to know. Cause I told them, I was like, you know, I know it's you. And they're like, no, it's a tooth fairy. It's like, I know it's you. <laughs> it's a tooth fairy. It's like, no, I'm going to, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to prevent this from happening. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that we don't act with reason because that's a big thing for me. And whenever I sign letters, people know if I sign emails, my it's always in reason, passion and justice. And to me, the biggest thing that I feel is how I would define myself 
is really basing choices and decisions and opinions on reason and really doing everything I can to break it down and look at it as reasonably as possible. And like what I'm seeing when people get all unreasonable and all huffy and puffy, it's you're losing that. You're in your monkey brain right now. And we're not going to get things done with everybody in the monkey brain. And, and that's what I try, I try to do that as often as possible. Yeah. Being able to see Reason. outside of that bubble is not an easy thing to do. And everyone's no. guilty of it. We, we all have our moments where we slip into that. And I also, you know, for me personally, I'm spiritual. I'm not an atheist, but I think organized religion is a joke. I mean, it's just a way to control the masses. It's extremely it's effective. Of course. Absolutely. Well, fear rules. You know, yeah. our congresswoman, Debbie Wofferman Schultz uh, has been able to rule as the queen of Broward and frankly, as the head of the Florida Democratic Party through fear for a very long time. Money, power and fear. And there is the religious component to that. That is the component that fits it into a tight box. Yeah. And that's why you see so many people, you know, basically looking at it as, well, I'm on team blue. Well, I'm on team Jesus or I'm on team Mohammed or I'm on team Judaism, whatever it is. It becomes this lack of rational thought that takes over your ability to think cognitively in a rational way. And I think it's no different. I think we're seeing it all the time that people are just so afraid to, you know, step away from their dogma, even though I think we're kind of entering a period of enlightenment where I think people are starting to feel like maybe it's worth trying. How do you see it? Do you think we're, we may be getting somewhere there? Um, I think that one of the benefits of living in such an interesting time is that um, it does seem like there is a new sort of openness and hunger in the population for a real shakeup. And I feel like people are still looking for that to come out of this yeah. conventional system. But I feel like if you really want an unconventional solution, you almost have to embrace a more unconventional approach. And I don't think we're quite to the unconventional approach yet, but I think that there is a hunger for something that's a little novel. We're working on that. What are you working on yeah. right now? What's that? What, what, are, yeah. what are you working on right now? What am I working on right now? Well, like, what's your regular, like, do you, do you, are you, do you do live stream or do you just, like, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, I've, been, uh, I've been doing live streams on uh, the Amazing Atheist channel. I do little chill streams on my TG Does Life channel. I do a stream with, um, we do streams uh, most Mondays and Fridays over on the uh, Drunken, uh, sorry, not Drunken Peasants, the uh, Deep Fat Fried channel. And um, we also uh, have an Onion Nuggets channel. That's Nuggets with a Z where you can see clips from all of our uh, streams and you can see clips of my streams on the Amazing Atheist channel. I have a bunch of channels. Yeah, um, you, you, you do have a lot of channels. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Is there a, a reason? Is it better to do it, like to spread it out like that as opposed to just keep having a channel with different shows? Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, a lot of people I think do that, especially, you know, you guys were talking earlier about like being locked into the algorithm, like... You know, we one of the reasons that we live stream on a different channel than we post our clips on is because we got a channel that the YouTube algorithm doesn't like for monetization, no matter how innocent the content is. So we just opened up a new channel and started posting our clips there and we haven't had any problems with it. So like sometimes you you're can in that, do like, that because you have enough people like algorithmical lockbox, you know. 
move on. Well, listen, we see that you're uh, you're closing in on a million there, buddy. You're getting pretty close. Yeah, well, I, I made it past a million and then I lost a bunch and now I'm creeping back up. So, But you lost a bunch because you were gone for a while, right? No, like, I, well, yeah, I mean, kind I of, because was- I, I started focusing a lot on uh, like my other shows and shit. And then also I feel like I was more willing to make content that was like had broader appeal when I before, you know, Trump and shit. But like a lot of things I think got way more polarized and, you know, a lot of stuff that I used to say that like would be more tolerable for like, you know, because I I used to be like, you're a left winger, I'm a right winger, but, you know, we can maybe get together on some of these things. And now it's just like we hate each other in all matters at all times. So You know, a lot of times like left wing perspectives that I would share back then, um, you know, maybe that was more tolerated. And at a certain point, people started getting way more like, fuck that. Oh, uh, no, no, you're totally wrong. No, you're totally wrong about that. Believe Sorry. Me, I tell you, you're totally Sorry. wrong. I have come to speak the truth. Speak I'm, a really, I'm a really great person. Believe me when I tell you uh, the Democrats, they're really terrible people. They tell lies, big lies, bigly lies. It's not true. Just wanted to come on and let everybody know that Ron DeSanctimonious Meatball himself thinks he's making America great again. Again. No, that's my job. And that's totally what's happening in 24. So make sure you support everybody. Everybody's welcome. The Jews, the blacks, the Asians. How about the, the atheists? The atheists are not allowed. I totally can't have them on. <laughs> that they is the most persecuted, me. Non, like if you were going to say group in Congress, do you know up until fairly recently, there was every basic religion had been represented and there was not one open atheist in Congress. And I think that you're only totally changed right. no, fairly you're totally, recently. Excuse me, you're totally wrong. Atheism is not a religion. It's just a crazy I, belief. It's not true. I, know, I don't mean a religion. Get, I mean, no, no, don't, no, you know me. what I'm saying. No, I totally know what you're saying and it's totally wrong. I just wanted to clarify. You would get more crap at being an atheist in Congress. Like you would get more flack for being an atheist in Congress than any other thing that people have, they've been religiously in Congress. Have, and I'm just pointing that out. Excuse me, but I have one religion we and are one religion only. I pray, <laughs> to the, I pray to the golden calf. It's really beautiful. It's worth a lot of money. And they're praying to the Ten Commandments. I don't believe in any commandments. I command, I lead, and the golden calf teaches oh me God. all I must know. Just wanted to let you guys know that I'm still coming back. You can't stop me. You can't kill me. You can only hope to contain me. And you're not going to do either one. Oh, my so. God. Good to see you, whoever you are. I'm sure you're a terrible <laughs> He's person. He's the amazing atheist. Whoever he is, he doesn't support me, so I could care less. I just wanted to come on here. <laughs> no, and he let doesn't support know. you, most likely. Have a wonderful night Sorry. and get over to Trump24.com. So there you go. There you go. I used to have that same mask. Uh, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> I stole it. <laughs> no, you yeah. normally have way better costumes. I really actually I like seeing your face because when I the last time I saw you I had a lot of makeup on. Yeah. So I don't. I think this might be the first time that I've actually like really seen your face. I just want to know when you're going to audition for Game of Thrones. No, he, just leave him alone. Let him just. He's just his own thing. He doesn't have yeah. a thing. Thank you so much, CJ, for coming on and chatting with us. Thank we you. Appreciate it. We know that we'll do well with our clips. Yeah, we'll get good clips. We're, with we're you. getting. We're not going to reveal our trade secrets, but our channel is growing now, <laughs> and we finally secrets. figured out how to actually make it so. So you just got to go with what you get. I mean, even if the live streams <laughs> don't do well. You know, after it drops, then you end up getting more and more views. So it is what it is. I'm guessing that, you know, again, whatever the shadow ban is, it's definitely for the live stream. It's definitely to make sure that we We don't don't get a lot of attention, but that is what it is. Thank you, TJ.
Thanks, you guys. Great to see you, brother. Always great to chat with him. You know, he is somebody who I, if if uh, we're probably going to be doing a live stream for my birthday on Saturday, May sixth. I had to put two people in timeout. I don't like having to do that. I don't like having to do that. But you can't be nasty. Well, people are nasty. Well, that's, that I'm that not going to have. You cannot be nasty. And Declan, you don't get to talk about the guests like that. You also have to remember that a lot of people like to say things that they would only say on the computer and they would never say. I know, but guys, this is embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like, I really would rather have, Because we're really like, trying to run a very professional... Well, it's just... It's totally real, stop talking crap about the guests. You know, we get a really good happen. assortment of it. That's going to happen. But... No, well, Declan just says he makes that same statement about every single guest. But he's a troll. I know, but I don't like it. And I definitely don't like somebody telling me I'm dumb as fuck. That's not going to be even? But why even be here if that's what you want to do? Well, look, it helps us, but that's fine. But don't be rude. Just don't be rude. I'm really not dumb as fuck. Yes, T. I'm just not partisan. I share my birthday with George Clooney, so (gasps) it's easy to remember. I so didn't realize we will, that. That is, I, I did know that Clooney was a tourist. So I did t- know that. TJ, if you're still hearing this, uh, Saturday, May 6th, we'll do it in the afternoon. Uh, it's his we'll birthday, like so a, he gets to pick what like he a, wants like to do. Like a big live stream get together of a whole I wish there was a way I could do something that would be remotely surprising, but I can't really because you are the person who finds the guests and invites them on. And if I were to say to you, let's bring this person on, then it wouldn't be a surprise. No, that's true. Uh, and I have a few ideas of a way to do like some surprises, but I'm just not sure how to go about it. And the person I would ask how to go about it would be you. So then it kind of eliminates the point of a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, guys, if you like what we're doing or trying to do, you do, do your routine, you, you do, do your stick. I think you guys appreciate, well, to some degree. I mean, even the people who don't like us still show up. So go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 like a subway. You can get yourself the Lulu sticker as don't an introduction. Eat yeah, don't eat Subway. That's you. definitely not good. Jersey Mike's much better. Uh, this is what you get for being a $5 patron. We would love to have you be a supporter. But of course, if you feel like being a little bit more generous, $10 a month, if you aren't agreeing with us, who's going to be the next president of the United Guys, States? Guys, the primaries are going to start being a thing. You want to get the Mansion parliamentarian Listen, sticker. we initially did this as a joke, but the idea that Mansion's name is actually being floated for president is kind of funny. Okay, but chances are a parliamentarian is not going to be the running mate. Maybe not, but hey, <laughs> crazier things happen. We put it out into the universe and these things end up happening. I don't even know her name. Actually, it, for all intents and purposes, it might be a different parliamentarian right now. I don't know. Maybe it changes every year. I have no idea. It's not an elected position. Well- Whatever her name is, this is who we're thinking might actually be the next president. That's the next president and vice president so just be right there. to support that if you can. Now, they have if all you the power. Are considering being a really generous supporter, please contribute $25 a month and you'll you get, get the, the Gen Change jersey. jersey. Tri-blend, soft as silk, and of course it's a jersey, so you can play a little baseball. Uh, it's really just, it's a nice jersey. But any support is obviously true. We are going to be bringing back the t-shirts at some point. I'm still like, you know money's trickling in. I sort of like use it as it comes in. It's really not easy. We are growing our next uh, segment of our channel, the Gen Z Report, which is going to feature Gen Z. What a surprise. Uh, Tomorrow night, we'll be having another meeting. We're having our first production meeting tomorrow night. Um, If you know anyone who's interested, have them send us an email at generationalchange at gmail.com. As it says right there in the graphic. And yeah, and it's really, this is going to be set up like a a discussion show. I hate to use the view as a concept, but like. Oh, please. No, that's a terrible example. Well, no, but it's going to be set up like a roundtable. Um, with Gen Zers, we're thinking like 
maybe up to four per episode. And there will be like different people so they don't all have to commit to every episode. And they'll go through and really just getting the Gen Z perspective and letting them discuss these issues. And we'll start out moderating, but my goal is for them to eventually just sort of do the show on their own and take it off from there. So that'll be a really, and that will be on Thursday evenings is going to be when they have their show. Um, right now we're saying <clears throat> um, eight, but we'll figure out that tomorrow. I'm letting that, like tomorrow they're gonna present some ideas for logos and we're gonna, we're gonna let them pick out like, you know, we're letting them do the show. I think it's a, I think it's what we need to do because I can't be doing this forever. So I need somebody else that's younger than me to start doing these kinds of things. It is our job to pass the baton. What I'm saying is you're implying you're getting old. I'm implying (laughs) that people tend to not pass the baton enough and tend to sit and grasp onto power with their crippling, gnarling, aging death hands for as long as possible. And they don't pass the baton. And I think that that's very important. It's something, mentoring is something I take very seriously. And um, there is a reason why I have established certain relationships with the young people and even locally with the young people. And it's because I take that seriously. So when other people like in the Democratic Party want to know how do you reach out to young people, yet again, here's another suggestion. Try mentoring and see what that's like. Try that. Um, You actually have to have principles that are worth passing on, um, really, I guess. So maybe that's part of the problem. But yeah. So Gen Z report, it will probably I'm thinking that a week from tomorrow we'll do the first episode. So, guys, check that out. I think it's and we want to support these kids as much as possible. I think it's important. You know, you never know. One of these kids could be like the next president. I just not the <laughs> next president, but could be a president. But yeah, that's that's wishful thinking. I know. But, but not the next president, but, you know, a future president. We don't these want to kids stifle the any that, young voices from no. people wanting to get involved. No. And that, of course, is key. Uh, and of course, we obviously appreciate the chat. Uh, no, we are going to be on TM. There is an extension of our channel. Yeah, we're still going to be Mondays and Wednesdays. Yeah. We're going to still be Mondays and Wednesdays. There will then be the Gen Z report on this channel on Thursday evenings. We will start out do it with them, like moderating it. But eventually our job is to not be doing the Thursday show with them. What I'm talking about overall is overall passing the baton teaching these kids that they need to participate in this revolution. And it's kind of like we're, bringing them in it. We're not giving it away. We're trying, we're trying to help everybody. You just trying, don't. Yeah. You guys yeah. think we're giving up the show. That's no, not we're not giving up our show. We're expanding no. our show. Yes, we're we adding a show. show. We're adding a show to our channel. Yes. Okay. That's what we're doing. We're adding a show to our channel that we will be part of briefly and then not be. And then we will still have our, our live streams. Yes. So, yeah. And so fortunately, we, we don't base these choices on on amazing viewership and subscriptions, because if we did that, then, uh, yeah, we would probably would never come back here. Yeah. And speaking of which, we're going to have a quick conversation with somebody that I've wanted to speak with for a while, because I think it's important that we have an understanding of the way politics changes, especially amongst the youth. And I believe our guest is a member of Gen Z, but he is a member of the GOP in the Empire State of New York. And so we're going to we're going to talk about this because this is very important that we cannot get it through to people enough. The partisan stuff is destroying everything. 
Yeah. We need to understand that there's it's a class war, people. It's no, it's definitely it's definitely a class war, and without question, there are going to be huge levels of what I would consider to be differing of opinion on specific issues. But I also believe that these types of conversations are what allow us to get where we need to go. Because when there is crossover in important areas, to me, that without question is how we are going to be able to have productive, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, politicking, et cetera, et cetera. I talk to everybody. You guys know. He is the president of the New York Young Republicans, and he is somebody who has very strong opinions about a lot of populist issues that we agree upon. Mm -hmm. Granted, we're Bernie people. He likes he likes the Donalds, which he'll get. And of we course, need to bring we need to bring him back and have Jaden on at the same time. I think that would like, be great. Like that would be great. So this is a start. This is sort of the many. point of this the Gen might be Z part report. Of the Gen Z report. Well, the premise of the Gen Z report is to have different people. It's not all. Trust me, this is going to be a very interesting cross section on the Gen Z. Certainly will. Gavin yeah. Mario Wax, welcome to Generational Change. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't make it on uh, earlier, but I'm glad we finally uh, made this work, and it's. Uh, it's funny we're doing this because earlier today I was on with another sort of left-wing Bernie podcast called The Convo Couch. Uh, oh, so, there you go. Sure. We yeah, know so, them. Yeah, they're great. I've done a bunch of stuff with them. and We found uh, a lot of common ground and a lot of issues. And, uh, you know, I know them well. So this is good. It's a good uh, it's a good double whammy today. Yeah, it's what I call cross-pollinating. And we do yeah. it a lot. I think it's really important. It's sort of like building a big web to eventually because – if we were to erase the parties tomorrow and all of us just were here and just had to be, we would agree and get along on so many more things where we're, where we don't just based on what we know popular opinion is. We know that most people support most of these populist ideas. We know that in both parties. But what I want to ask you is, is, and you're young, right? I mean, you're, you are Gen Z. Yes. Uh, I think I'm a millennial. I'm a, I'm 29, 28. Oh, you're, you're a little older. Okay. So, but where, where, like, when when you first started getting involved politically, were you always um, in that with the Republican Party? Was that always like, did you start out with that? Like, I'm just curious, no. like, what the evolution was. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, when I was in high school, I was a Democratic Socialist. Uh, then I started becoming more of a Ron Paul Libertarian. I was attracted to his non-interventionism. I hated, you know, the the, the corporate bailouts in 08. Uh, so I always had sort of a more populist anti-establishment streak. Uh, and I sort of just developed it into a more conservative populism, which is sort of what's really, you know, coming up now in the Republican Party and on the right in our country and across the world. Uh, but my, my background ideologically and politically, uh, you know, was not a lifelong Republican. You know, like I said, I had, you know, yeah. Democrat socialist background. I had a libertarian background and I didn't come from that kind of a family either. You know, I had JFK Dems in my family. So I was definitely a bit mixed up and I think that was good. You know, you get more exposure and you get a different sense of ideas uh, from across the spectrum rather than just, you know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Republican who are usually the worst Republicans. Yeah, I, I don't like I really wish we didn't have this. Like I do. I think that it would be a much better thing if we would just talk about issues and come to a consensus, you know, like a democracy. But um, it's almost like we've been taken hostage by political theater. Uh, what I, But when you're in a state like New York, obviously you are not in the majority party there. Obviously, you're sort of like. You know, you're the fish out of water there like Democrats are here in Florida. It's kind of interesting. So what? But, yeah. but you guys did have a very successful uh, midterm election. And obviously we're down here in Florida and we all know that the heavyweight 
championship fight is coming between Trump and DeSantis. But I obviously would like to hear your thoughts because we do have some good progressive friends uh, that are allies, especially the Long Island progressives. They are a uh, Long Island activist, excuse me, Uh, for a a non-corporate organization that's on the left. They really do an amazing job. And they obviously have very strong opinions about where things fell apart. Now, to give you an idea of, you know, where we fall on the political line, you know, somebody like Yulene New, who obviously is very left, but she's not corporate. And the idea that she's not in Congress, but somebody like Dan Goldman, who's the heir to the Levi Strauss fortune, is in Congress right now, is very problematic and cannot support somebody like that. So do you believe that the corporate control of politics is a huge problem? And would you say that played a big role in why the the GOP did very well in New York during the midterms? Uh, yes, I think the, the corporate influence on politics is, is a massive negative on, on our entire process. I think, you know, the establishment wings of both parties have been completely co-opted uh, by corporate interests, multinational interests. And uh, it is definitely a detrimental, you know, impact on our, our political you know system. I mean, we're seeing it now as it's coming up in discussions with the banking crisis and bailouts and all the rest. Uh, it, it's, it's something that I've been trying to fight against in the Republican Party, rather than being the party of corporate America, we're the party of you know workers, we're the party of the people, we're the party of the small business owners. That's part of the populist realignment. Uh, as far as it plays into the electoral politics in New York this past cycle, I'm not sure it's as clean cut as that. I mean, there certainly is a massive corporate wing to the Democrat Party in New York. Um, I don't necessarily think the Republicans won because they were anti-corporate. I think what we had in New York was just a situation where you've had one party that has just simply dominated for so long and uh, there really hasn't been any healthy competition in the political process and things have just really, really reached an edge in terms of the economy, in terms of crime, in terms of, you know, kitchen table issues. And the Democrats just did didn't have a coherent message uh, to tackle this besides pretend it didn't exist and uh, cling to sort of an ideological, you know, uh, you know, just within an ideological prism. They weren't being pragmatic and Republicans were able to largely win by default. I don't think it was really due to any brilliance of the Republicans. I don't think it was because the Republicans were really taking a really great ideological stand. I mean, yeah, they said they were for law and order. They said they were for, you know, economic development and things like that, kind of just generic talking points. But I just think that the the situation in New York, particularly in New York City, has just reached a, a kind of a low point that it was it was almost, you know, sort of cyclical that we were going to see a bit of a pushback. Uh, And the Democrats couldn't have gained anymore. You know, they were already at their apex uh, in terms of control in the state legislature and the congressional delegation. So we saw obviously a big shift with the the gubernatorial race. I think we saw some personal dynamics there with how weak Hochul was. She doesn't have the coalition. She doesn't have the following. She doesn't have the gravitas that some of these Democrat leaders like, say, Cuomo had in the past when he was at his political peak. Uh, So I think all these things played into sort of their demise. Um, and, and there is some divisions in the left, for sure. There is certainly a division between the progressives and, and, and say, more corporate wing. Um, I don't know if it was the biggest impact on, say, the New York election, but maybe it, maybe it had a, a minor role. That's very well said. And we are huge. Uh, you're probably not, to be fair, but we are huge supporters of India Walton out in Buffalo. Now, yes, she is an avowed socialist and you can take with that as you want. But what's most important to me personally is that I want representation in government that isn't bought and paid for by corporate special interests. And the way that she had won that primary and then was proceeded to be stabbed in the back 
by the Democratic establishment. I, I mean, to me, how do you expect to get anybody to really support you when you can't even be honest about how you view these circumstances. Well, that's probably why he's Republican, because the Republicans are infinitely more Democratic in their process. They don't have superdelegates and they actually go with who their people want. They also support robust primaries and they also bring in young people. Yeah, there's some interesting things here. I mean, I definitely think that the the National Democrat Party, uh, their their internal systems are are very much in favor of a stronger establishment. I mean, you see this play out across the aisle. I mean, people make fun of Republicans for their divisions and the factionalism and all the rest. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's healthy. I think it's healthy to have these fights and these divisions. I think it's good to have competition for leadership. I think it's good to have internal fights. Uh, and I think you're going to get the best ideas to win. And you're going to keep, you know, things fresh and uh, everyone on their toes. I think uh, the Democrat Party, their bylaws, their internal structure, uh, you mentioned the superdelegates. That's just one component. The, all these things have led to sort of cementing of power, which works some cases for the Democrats. They do tend to have uh, more unity on the surface. Obviously, there's a lot of things that happen behind closed doors that's very different. But, you know, the public facing image is a, is a far more united caucus on the Democrat side. And that that's federal, state and local. Um, but, you know, it, when you go to a place like New York, for instance, even in a place like the New York City, uh, because things aren't really competitive in the general election, where you begin to really see the political dynamics is in the Democrat primary side. That's where all the bargaining is. That's where the deals are being made. That's where we're seeing all the power maneuvers. And there is a lot of infighting uh, in the Democrat Party in New York. Uh, it is kind of rudderless. It is sort of it doesn't really have a strong leader. Uh, and they've implemented things like now in New York City, you have uh, instant runoff voting, which I also think is impacting a lot of this factionalism. Uh, but I do think it's good that you have a healthy, you know, dynamic within the party. I mean, I know the establishment of the Republican Party hates the primary process. They hate when people get involved. They hate when my club gets involved. And and our our position has always been, we are a auxiliary organization of the party. We have Republican in our name. Where we have the most political capital is in a primary. And they say, oh, no, you can only endorse in a general. You can only get involved in a general. Fine, we'll get involved in a general. But where we can throw our weight around is in a primary to, to advocate for our candidates. If I was a young Democrat organization and you told me you can't endorse in a primary, then what good is that organization? It's just going to be, you know, you're just going to be fodder for the party apparatus, the party machine. So th these these dynamics are at play, I think, on both sides. I think you see a mix of it. Um, but certainly we, we need a healthy primary process. And, uh, you know, you, you have a situation where people are getting, you know, uh, knocked off the ballot. I mean, in New York, you have the board of elections, which are extremely, uh, much under the control of the party bosses. And, uh, they do a ton, uh, to basically kick people off the ballots, to remove people from, uh, their, their yeah. signatures and their petitions. And it's, it's a massive issue. Yeah. It's a problem. Extremely sure. well stated. Um, well, I want to, I, my favorite president is the greatest New York Republican of them all, which is Teddy Roosevelt. And Mine as well. I would like to know, considering what Teddy's platform was, especially when he had his line with the Bull Moose Party, because as a student of politics, and I can tell you definitely know your history, what a lot of people don't know is that he didn't just run in the Bull Moose Party. He ran in the GOP primary in 2012. He got more votes and delegates than Taft, and they still gave it to Taft anyway. And he said, oh, yeah, take this. And he did exactly what you should do. Now, granted, Wilson became president. And I do think Woodrow Wilson is one of the worst presidents in our nation's history. With that yep. being said, Teddy, to me, 
exemplified what it meant to conserve. There was nobody better when it came to making the right decision. Compare what Biden did with Norfolk Southern and East Palestine to what Teddy did in 1901, right when he first got in there. He got into a very unique situation with the railroad strike, and he sided on the side of the railroad workers. So he's always been a champion of the working person. And I'm thinking to myself, where is that Republican Party? The Republican Party of today is very much still a party that is not only knee deep in corporate special interests, but also a party that is very much in bed with the evangelical right. I'd like to hear your thoughts on where you stand regarding the principles that Teddy had espoused when he was president, as well as with the Bull Moose Party, and how you hope that that will translate going forward within the GOP. Well, I'll say a bunch of things here. One, uh, I agree with you. Teddy Roosevelt is also my favorite president. Uh, and it's funny you bring up the Taft uh, fight. Our club was founded in 1911. It was actually founded, ironically enough, by Taft supporters. And the original speaker at our first gala was Taft. But now we've obviously begun to embrace uh, the Teddy wing of the party. And his son was a member of the club. So there's some history there. Uh, but as far as Teddy goes, I mean, look, I, I, I am a Teddy Roosevelt Republican. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, some of the issues have changed and some of the dynamics have changed. But as far as, you know, his position on economics, I mean, yes, I think we need to stand up for American labor. Yes, I think we need to crush monopolies. Yes, I think we need to rein in corporate interests. Uh, yes, I think we need to advance a whole litany of, of national projects for, for, for an American national renewal. I mean, there's a whole litany of populist type of uh, policy agendas that, uh, that he espoused back then that I would support today. Uh, and I do think there are a lot of people that would be embracing a Teddy Roosevelt style republicanism uh, in the Republican Party. I think we have been plagued by this ghost of Reaganism, uh, where they 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 drag out Reagan every day, and uh, they're they're pushing him. And and look, I'm not saying Reagan was a bad president necessarily. I'm not super anti Reagan, but I think it's it's overdone. It's tiresome, and um, it has nothing to do with the current day and age. And I think it's it's just a trite talking point. I think a lot of the issues we're facing, uh, particularly economic, uh, would be a better addressed by, by re-embracing a sort of Teddy Roosevelt-style populism in the Republican Party. And I think that brand of politics, if we were to fully embrace it as a party, would lead us to massive electoral victories. I think there is a massive uh, oh, yeah. you know, subset yeah. of uh, uh, the, and I think you look at, I think it was 8 million Bernie Trump voters. You look at all the independents, you look at the votes in the Midwest. If you look at it from an electoral strategy perspective, there there is a huge, huge percentage of people that are not, fa do not fall clearly within the two-party dynamic. I think there's a quadrant and they show where the cluster of voters are. And there's the one quadrant is for Democrat, one quadrant is for Republicans. And it's like on a, a social and economic axis. And the, the biggest plots were in this economic quadrant that no one really appeals to. It's the sort of, this sort of economic uh, populism and social moderate, you know, social conservative, social moderate. You brought up the evangelicals. I mean, I don't think they play too much into this economic discussion. I mean, there's there's a social yeah. aspect there and a cultural aspect. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of people that would like to see us move more uh, in a more pragmatic direction economically. Uh, I don't think there's an appetite for corporate tax cuts. There, I don't think there's an appetite for embracing big, big tech, big finance, big media. That's, all, these on big the, that's all in the Democrats. The Democrats are embracing all of that. The Republicans. Both. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I think the grassroots, yeah, the grassroots, yeah. I have a question for you. So what is your thought on like the, let's say, the Mike Pence Republican Party? What about those people? I don't think they have a future. I think he's dull. I think he's boring. He doesn't inspire anyone in this day and age. I think he, you know, that's he's the another era. That's the evangelical yeah. wing of your party. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I think the evangelicals are part of a coalition. I don't think they're necessarily like, I think they're a component. I, and yes, they definitely would love someone like Mike Pence for sure. Would, uh, you, but say they don't have the, they have, would you say that they have too loud of a voice in the party? Much like the uh, Democratic well, Party, nationally. much like the Democratic Party's voice is way too loud with Wall Street and Silicon Valley. I, I'm not. I'm less concerned about the evangelical portion of the party. I'm more concerned about an even smaller portion of the party that has more influence, particularly on donors and particularly on the the, the levers of power, the, the remnants of the neoconservatives, the 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 the, the, the more established, the war hawks, the more yeah. establishmentarian people. Those people are a far bigger threat, not only to the party, but I think the country as a whole and what they're getting us into and how they're pushing us towards the abyss of, of a world war. The evangelicals, you know, I, I think on economic issues, I don't think they're, they're really set in stone a lot of economic issues. Uh, so, you know, they have their social agenda, they have their cultural agenda, and, you know, that's stuff that could be discussed. But I don't think they're necessarily a roadblock on advancing a populist, pro-American labor, uh, say, type of movement, anti-corporate movement. I don't think that's really the hill they're dying on. I do think there is an establishmentarian, neoliberal, neoconservative faction that while they are so small, they're not a big portion of the party, I think they have a lot of influence that goes well beyond their size. And I think they're the most dangerous faction because one, I think they, to the things we were talking about earlier, I think they're extremely pro-corporate. I think they're extremely uh, in bed with sort of these globalist neoliberal interests. And then at the same time, I also think they're advancing uh, some of the worst parts of the Republican Party, which is the the, the foreign interventionism, the pushing us to, uh, to get into to more wars. You know, these are the same people that still think the Iraq war was a good thing. I mean, they, oh. they, they've, they've never learned. I think those guys are far, far worse. Uh, and they actually, ironically, make up uh, probably the smallest sliver uh, of the pie. That's a good point. Yeah. Like that, that, and that is a scary group. So then I, I take it to be that you are not a war hawk, um, you know, and especially if you're coming from like the Ron Paul, you know, uh, you know, mindset in the first place. Obviously, I'm anti the war that we're having next. Like, I'm against the war. You can't even have to tell me what it is. It could be weapons of mass destruction. It could be somebody gassing their own people. It could be whatever it is. I'm still against that war. Um, and so that's something that I do think where it has shifted. And now you see all of these Democrats that are suckling at the teat of the military industrial complex, the same level yeah. that you see on the Republican side. It's just another area where they've all just merged in for profit and it has nothing to do with defending this country at this point. We are so it, it sh- far past that. It shows the power of narrative formation and the media. And it's very scary because there's many people that I knew growing up in New York that I would consider old school lefties. You know, we did agree on everything, but some of the areas we did agree on, excuse me, I'm, I'm stuffed up, but no. some of the areas we did agree on were, you know, anti-foreign intervention, uh, anti, you know, 
corporation, anti, you know, pro free speech, you know, that, and that kind of old school leftist has almost been like, you know, now they're, 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 they've been totally exiled from the party. I mean, you, you see them doing it to people like Russell Brand. You see them do it to people like Glenn Greenwald. I mean, they, they are totally boxing them out and they used to be the mainstream current of the grassroots left. And now the grassroots left, I, I think you, you, you said it best. I mean, they are, they are in a war fever in a same way, you know, people used to make fun of, you know, Republican grassroots for being in a war fever during the war on terror in Iraq and all that. I mean, we're seeing the parallels and it just goes to show that there is a uni party that can control and manipulate uh, both of these wings and both of these movements and both of these factions uh, like, like a fiddle. And they can, they can, if they need to turn Democrats into war hawks, they'll turn them into war hawks. And if they need to turn Republicans into pro big business, they'll turn them into pro big business. It doesn't really matter. Uh, and that's very scary. And I think that just goes to show that they want to do the divide and conquer strategy, which is, you know, historically always been very, you know, relevant for these types of things. Keep us divided. Uh, keep us focusing on trivial matters and and focusing them away from you know some of the areas where we can find common ground on because it it it, it we get boxed in and it's like okay we agree on these five issues we don't agree on these okay well why don't we just talk about those why don't we at least get those things done and yeah. check check them off check them off the to do list. Uh, and then we can, you know, you know we, we could, we could fight a battle another day, but we can't even get to that point. Um, no, and I think yeah. in our own party worse than anything, like just to be like, so Same. If, if your, if your mindset took over and was the more mainstream mindset of your party and we were able to sort of do the same, we would essentially be able to get so many things done. And that's what's so absurd. And yet they think, and they project this, like this total tribalism, it really isn't like that amongst regular people. That's just what you see. And, I, and yeah. it's very frustrating because I know that we probably agree on a lot of things. And one of them being we're obviously we're very anti money in politics. I The corruption has got to go. They need to I've talked about this. Yeah. Taking corp, not just corporate money, but the truth is just being filthy. I, I think I think. Uh, this was just an idea I threw out yeah. once on a show, but uh, with with money and politics, if you can't vote for that person, you shouldn't be able to give them money. So obviously, if you wear if you whittle that down, okay, presidents, you know, we could all give money to the president. We're all we're all eligible to vote. But if you if you don't live in that congressional district, you can't give money to that person. And if you don't live in that state, you can't give out a money. So it 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 keeps the money local. It keeps it within the constituency, and it and it takes it away from some of the the corporate interests and some of these big packs and all these dark money sources. But, you know, one thing that's a silver lining, there was this war powers uh, resolution uh, that was in Congress that had a good number of Republicans and a good number of the progressive caucus voting for it. I think it was the one pushed forward by AOC and Matt Gates, And, you know, it obviously didn't pass, but I think it got a substantial number of people backing yeah. it to sort of rein in the power uh, 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 of these, these foreign interventions. So look, I think we're moving in the right direction. Maybe one day that'll become a majority. Uh, so we can only hope, but I agree with you. The biggest fights I have as a Republican, as a populist Republican is within my own party. I mean, the people that hate me the most are within my own party. The people I get into the biggest fights with are people in my own party. Um, and it, it, it's, it's kind of like a civil war. And if yeah. they were to embrace a sort of populism that we have on the right and maybe a populism you guys have on the left, I think both parties would benefit from it in, in an incredible way electorally, uh, which is, it just goes to show how funny it is because they have a natural incentive 
to embrace this politics, not because of principles, not because they believe it truly ideologically or, or in their hearts, but even just in self-interest, it would be beneficial to them. And they still won't do it because they're getting a better self-interest for, you know, the money reasons and, and all the other things that we, we talked about earlier. Yeah. Well, I just want to say one thing that I have noticed, and I don't say this with any sort of like loyalty to party, is that I have not seen, and maybe you can tell me, and I would love to see non-corporate grassroots Republicans challenging their incumbents in primaries in places. And I haven't seen that. And one thing yeah. that, that we support, and we will platform any non-corporate candidate. And, and you know, the, the problem is, is that we are only seeing them on our left. Um, that's where we're seeing them. I'd love to see them on the right and ha be able to have actual discussions with people that aren't bought by special interests. And so if, if, you know, if you have any power or influence in it, I mean, that would be very helpful because we do not see that on the right. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because we mentioned earlier how the Democrat institutions are very strong, but you guys do have there's been a lot of different waves of groups, Justice Democrats, the DSA, uh, I forget all the different names, but there's been yeah. a lot of different more left-wing groups that have slowly begun to take over the Democrat Party and their caucuses. They've done a good job, but what the Democrats have done a good job of, at least the Democrat establishment has done, is, okay, we lost this primary, we lost this election, but we're going to co-opt everyone and everyone's going to march to the same tune once you're in office. Uh, Republicans, on the other hand, it's the opposite. We've done a very bad job of primarying out incumbents, but the people that do get through, they do wield the power. And that's when you see like these 20 people, you know, stop McCarthy right. for however many rounds. So it's a weird inverse that you guys have had better luck in the primary process, pushing people out. But then once they're in office, it seems like they fall under sort of the lockstep of the party. On the Republican side, the incumbents yeah. are more entrenched, harder removed. But then when they get in, they're a little bit more rambunctious. So it's interesting. But I fully support knocking out as many incumbents as we can. I think, you know, the, that's the only time you're going to hold a lot of their feet to the fire. And uh, the problem is, is just it, it, there's just a lot of low information of voters. There's a lot of people that are just not going to get into the weeds of these things and they get away with a lot. And I think the party apparatus on the Republican side as well, it's very hard to break into. It's like these people have been serving on these committees for 30, 40 years. You can't break in, you can't change. Yep, and it's the, yeah. And it's horrible. And then, and they don't get it. And they're so disconnected from oh, the average no, voter. Oh, Gavin, they, they get it. They, Let me they ask you this. So, so what, what would you think about a pack, a super pack, that's basically an anti-corporate pack, and its sole purpose is putting out information campaigns against the filthiest incumbents that have viable grassroots challengers. I like it. Yeah. I mean, if it has the money and resources, I think it can yeah. only be a good thing. I don't think anyone's done anything like that before. I mean, I, I've seen some of the worst things, and this is just me being jaded. Some of the worst things yeah. I've seen pushed forward are the bipartisan ones. But if this was, if this was done in the way you just stated, then it, I'd be all for it. I'm just, I'm just very jaded because when I see anything bipartisan and usually means we're going to war or we're going to pass uh we're going to pass a bailout or something. No, but let me ask you this. So would you consider participating on a board? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is, this is, I'm, I'm actually, this is something that we are kind of working on. And, and is there's there's something being put together um, that will be funded, well-funded. And its purpose going into 24 will be to, to be having constant campaigns against the filthiest incumbents that have viable challengers that are not corporate challengers. 
I like it. If it's, if, no, this is on purpose. Yeah. Again, I would love to see that on the right because yeah. ultimately what this pack is doing is it's not supporting anybody. It's not supporting those candidates that are running grassroots campaigns. It's just simultaneously running ads against the filthy incumbent while somebody else is running their campaign. I like it. I like it. If, okay. if you're going after the but incumbents and it's targeted. I am putting together a board for this. So I would, I I would love, love to have a Republican representative. All right. So let's let's tackle, before we get to the final segment, which of course will be you having a nice little conversation with your favorite politician. Uh, I will. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see, you'll, you'll see. Okay. Uh, okay. So the biggest issues when it comes to the non-corporate left, obviously you start with universal healthcare, the system that we support, that I support, that Jen supports, that I think the overwhelming majority of people support is a universal system, single payer, single payer, which removes the for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. We and do gets not, big pharma under control. We do not want the government running our health care. We do not want them dictating the terms of what a doctor can and cannot make. Because if you're a great doctor, regardless if you're in Manhattan or if you are up in the Adirondacks, I don't really care. If you are doing your job and people want to see you and you can make a million, two million dollars a year, that is totally your business. As long as there is not a for-profit middleman in between you and your doctor, it should not exist. And that is what a single payer system is designed yeah, well, to we do. Can, before we get into healthcare, what are your thoughts on cannabis? Uh, you mean like legalization? Just in general, yeah. Uh, I'm for it for being on the state level. I don't smoke, uh, but you know, I don't really care if a state votes to to legalize it. I think we You're need to legalize hemp. You're not a I would federal. You're a I would legalize. Girl. I would legalize hemp at the federal level because that's just really stupid. But you know, something yeah. like cannabis. I mean, leave it to the states. Uh, right, I'm not. But you would decriminalize it. You wouldn't be prosecuting people for weed. I don't. I don't think anyone should be going into. I don't think anyone should be in jail for 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 smoking weed. No. Yeah. Yeah. So no, this is again. I, this is just you're being reasonable. We're just talking about yeah. something reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't smoke, but I like, literally I, that's like the lowest, that's like the lowest concern of mine. Um, and we have obviously a lot of issues with opioids and, and, and alcohol and a lot of other societal ills. Uh, but I really, you know, if, if the state wants to legalize it or a locality wants to legalize it or decriminalize it, which has happened in New York, you know, that's, that's fine. I'm not, it's not a top concern of mine. I do think though, uh, and I was talking on the convo couch about this earlier. I do think uh, we, uh, we've seen, you know, the economic destitution in the country. I think a lot, there has been an addiction crisis. This has nothing to do with the cannabis, but it's right, like hard right, right. drugs and it's scary. And I think, you know, big pharma is part of this. And, and we have this whole legalized narcotic industry, you know, you're oh, talking yeah. about with, with all the pharmaceuticals and it's, it's turning people into zombies yes, it did. and uh, it's ruining lives. It's ruining families. It's driving people to kill themselves and no one's talking about, it. and it's happening in, in middle America. It's happening in these towns and cities. It's very that, profitable. That it's, it's profitable. It's profitable. And it's, and it's coming, it's coming from the Pfizer's of the world and it's uh -huh. coming uh, from outside the country and it's, it's re it's wreaking havoc on people and no one seems to care. And, and then you have, again, the legalized narcotics where you have these doctors who are over prescribing 
yes. you know, pills and medications that they don't need to take because they, they get kickbacks from big pharma and they're drugging everyone up. They're drugging up kids and everyone's falling apart. And uh, then we wonder why we have so many health crisis, uh, crises. Yeah. I can never say that in so this country. So it's disgusting. And that is a reason to support universal health care because you, you literally kneecap big pharma out of the way if you do. I will say this. I will say that uh, the Republican Party has a health care problem, and it's one of our biggest issues in probably having having generational political power, that if we had a yeah. solid uh, message on it, if we had a solid plan, it would really catapult us uh, electorally in a really big way. Um, I'm open to everything. I do think there's a ma- – you talked about the middlemen. I do think there's a massive issue where you have these insurance companies, these middlemen, there's no price transparency. So you, you they've done studies where it's right. like the same exact procedure. Okay, your back is out. I don't know, whatever. You, 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 if they actually dig into it, there's no price cohesion or consistency or transparency. One guy's charging 10000 one guy's charging 1000 and it creates this whole system where it, it, there's no real economics involved and it's it, there's that separation going on. I think we have a lot of dumb things that are happening. I think there are some common sense reforms, you know, things about state lines, things about price transparency. You know, if you're a nurse in one state, you should be allowed to be a nurse in another state automatically. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of these things uh, we do have a lot of frivolous lawsuits that drive up costs. Uh, I do think there's a lot of liability shields on the other hand of that, that protect big pharma and other entities. I'm open to it. I think there's a lot of problems in our current healthcare system. I think there are some things that are good about it that we need to preserve. We can look to Europe and see what they do better, what they do worse. Um, I'm not going to jump necessarily into single payer universal, but I'm going to, I'm open to having a discussion. I'm open to talking about it and I'm not going to claim that the status quo of today or the status quo pre Obamacare was necessarily a good status quo. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah. And Ob- there were a lot Obama, of issues. Obamacare, Obamacare was a disaster. No, I guess the point um, is I appreciate that you're, yeah. you're again, you're using reason because this is what I always say. Most issues for me, I'm open. Let, let's see some facts. Let's see some information. Let's see some research. And let's come up with a plan that serves the most amount of people in the best way. Would That's you, what we, I want to do. Just reason. Gavin, would reason. you would you at least advocate for uh, every state to uh, opine, if you will, for uh, a public option? To at least have that on the table where you can- We should you know, at least have had Medicaid expansion well, here. Well, of course, that's a whole other story. If states want to do it, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't care what the states do. If they want to be the laboratories of democracy, I'm totally fine with that. Um, I do think there's a lot of really arbitrary barriers that are put up. You know, you have one insurance company operating in one state because they don't sell over state lines. You have, uh, you know, same thing with all the different doctors and, and, and medical professionals with their licensing not crossing state lines. You have things like certificates of need a lot of these things, actually, if there was if there was one weird thing about COVID, it showed so many strange laws in the books. So you have these certificate of needs where basically if I have a town and there's five hospitals in that town and you want to or not even hospitals, medical facilities, and you want to build a sixth medical facility with 100 beds. You need to get those other hospitals or medical facilities to approve you. And why would they do that? Because they could charge more money if there's only five because the, because the supply is low. And during COVID, when we had all the beds were filling up, people were like, why don't we build more beds? Why don't we do expansions? Why don't we build more hospitals? They were like, oh, you can't because you need to have a certificate of need, which is basically the, the existing medical facilities, which are like a cartel, get to decide if there is a need for more medical facilities. For These are weird. Hospitals. 
Is yeah, that and everywhere? Are, like, is that every, I'll have to ask my husband about that. Because I, I'm, over, I'm, over 30 states. Not every yeah, state, but okay. New York. New York is right. horrible. And it, and it's it's one of these weird laws on the books that no one knows or thinks about, but does have a big impact. And the problem with the whole healthcare reform is that there's it's 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 such a complicated mess and there's so many layers here and i don't want to come out and just say it's one you know it's it's just this that's going to fix it or it's just that it's i'm not going to have a sexy answer it's going to be talking about these very nerdy things like certificate of need laws and you know how about we change the time it takes for drugs to go generic you know all these different things are are very nerdy and in the weeds but uh, if you add them all up they will bring costs down. Yeah. They will improve care and they will increase accessibility. Um, but right now there is certainly a inertia because there is an established medical system where people are making a lot of money and there's a lot of people that are getting screwed. Yes. Um, and there are certainly a lot of people that aren't happy. And, you know, it is a consistent top five issue for most people, people Republicans or Democrats. They support the idea of universal health care in one no way or one another. spends more money lobbying than us than uh, private insurance and big pharma. They are number one well, yeah. in a wide margin. And we spend the most money of anyone in the world and we have some of the most unhealthy people. And We're we have so 51. many. We're 51 and you hear, in health and, and, you, country. and you hear from a lot of the old hat conservatives that basically say, well, I don't want to pay for somebody else's health care. We're not a healthy country and all this. And all I'm thinking is, yeah, stop subsidizing the fast food industry. Stop subsidizing big agriculture. Yes. Stop with these giveaways, these corporate giveaways to these industries that screw over farmers, that screw over small business owners. I mean, there is so much crossover. If we can yeah. get away from such, you know, the, the notion of like always trying to find a reason not to find common ground. And so for us, you know, obviously the biggest thing for us is labor. I know that there is a big difference regarding how the GOP views it. Uh, I, I support unions, but we also know that not all unions are created equal. No. We understand that there are unions that absolutely work on behalf of the rank and file. And then there are unions who work on behalf of the Democratic establishment. Knowing the difference between the two is the key to understanding how the labor We always stand with labor, country. but we don't necessarily always agree with unions. Bingo. I like that. Before we get into labor, I will just touch on the last thing on the health side. I mean, we poison our foods. We poison everything we do. Yeah. We're, some, yes. we're the most unhealthy people on earth. Uh, we don't have preventative care. Everything is, is, is a dollar sign. The more unhealthy you are, the more money people make. I think that is a broader, almost non-political topic. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's unreal that, that, that some of the issues we face medically in this country do not exist in other countries. And it's, it's, it's a national disgrace. And I think part of it is part of this system that perpetuates people being sick and being ill because it is a moneymaker. And I definitely think that's a problem that needs to be addressed. On to labor. Uh, yes, I agree with you guys. I mean, I think, you know, I'm pro-worker. I'm pro-American worker. I want to advance policies that are going to increase people's purchasing power. That's going to enable people to have, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a good, uh, you know, economic, uh, good economic development that they can prosper, that they can live happily, uh, that they can have, you know, a better standard of living than the, their families before 
for them. And I think unions do play a role in some components, but not all unions are created equal. And a lot of the times the policies that these unions are advocating for are diametrically opposed to the interests of their members. And I think there's a massive issue. I I think there's a massive issue in in the labor movement in the United States. I think it's also been largely co-opted and and bought out. And I think, you know, saying you're pro-labor doesn't necessarily mean that you're pro-union because a lot of these unions are, you know, definitely not looking out for the interests of their own members. And I think we need more unions and we need to break up some of the larger unions. Uh, And and I think that would probably help the situation. Uh, And I obviously think there's a difference between private and public sector unions and things like that. Um, But look, I think there's a place for unions. I think there's a place for people to freely associate and freely organize. That's part of a free society. Um, I don't necessarily want to give certain special privileges to corporate interests. I don't want to give special privileges to, to union interests. I want to look out for, you know, American labor. And I think things, you know, frankly, this is more right-wing populism, but I do think things like protectionism and rolling back free trade and, and doing things like this is going to be beneficial to the American worker. We have deindustrialized the country, we sent jobs abroad. Um, and, uh, all these things have led to a loss of jobs, a suppression of labor, uh, a suppression of, um, uh, of, of, uh, of salaries and the, and the price of labor, and it's hurting everybody, and no one's benefiting, and it doesn't matter what the unions say or do; it's only getting worse, uh, you know, every year, every generation for for most American workers. And by the way, this is this is bipartisan problem, and and we know this because we have had um, Democratic administrations. We have one right now, up until the recent uh, midterms, and yet we couldn't even get them to talk about the Pro Act. Which, by the way, was one of the things that I recall Biden campaigning on. Do, am I hallucinating? That was that? actually the one thing that, that, you know, if you want to talk about one of the biggest issues, um, you know, regarding DeSantis and Trump obviously will go after him on this. You know, we are a right to work state. Michigan just overturned right to work. At the end of the day, if you're a worker, you need to have rights. I mean, one of the best interviews I ever saw was with Chris Smalls, who we are big supporters of, who unionized the Amazon work, uh, uh, the uh, warehouse in Staten Island. And he went on Tucker Carlson and they had not only a productive uh, chat, but at the end of the conversation, Tucker specifically said, look, I am not a supporter of unions, but the labor movement needs more power in this country. And I'm thinking, that's all I need to hear. Yeah, I hear that from him. And you can criticize him from now until the cows come home. And Lord knows he's a punching bag for the Democratic Party if there ever was one. But if you're going to talk about the bread and butter issues that are going to make a difference, a significant difference in people's lives, having a living wage. Again, this is not about the minimum wage. I actually uh, agree with the idea that you need to be able to have a job that produces value to the economy where people can make enough money to live and not have to depend on the government for welfare. So if you're going to be treating people and, and or, or at least teaching people various skills that are useful in society, trade schools should be tuition free. And yes, public colleges should be tuition free. They used to be. If you want to cancel student debt, you can't cancel it without actually dealing with the root cause of the problem. And that is people are not learning skills in this country to prevent them from having to take out student loans and not being able to pay them off because they are not skilled enough to advance within our society. Being able to do that I think would have significant impact. How do you feel about univ- about public tu- tuition free public college and trade schools? 
Uh, well, I will say first on the unionization of Amazon, I fully support it. It was great to see it happen in a place like Staten Island, a very Republican area of New York City, a very Republican area of New York yep. State. And I think it shows that there's a populist realignment there. I know it was funny enough that I think the unionization efforts failed in Alabama, if I remember correctly, uh, yeah. but it succeeded in Staten Island. And yeah, I support that. And I and look, I've worked in a series of pretty horrible jobs uh, in, in, in restaurant industry, in the service sector, whatever it is. You need you need institutions that are going to that are going to be there and stand up for labor and stand up for workers. There is a proper place uh, uh, for the labor movement. And I think, you know, we can talk about that or without getting into, you know, this union or that union. We can understand Correct. as a baseline that there needs to be a uh, there needs to be a presence of organized labor in some sense, because not everything that the corporate interests or, or the managers are going to do are going to be fair and right and just. And I don't want to look everything. I mean, I think this also comes down to philosophically and on a broader level. I'm not going to put everything through the prism of a GDP. I'm not going to put everything through the prism of just a pure dollar figure. I think we, we are talking about a society with people, with human beings, uh, and, and not everything is just going to come down to, is it positive for the GDP or is it negative for the GDP? There's things that are more important than that. Uh, and that's a little, that's going off course a bit, but that was my view on that. And I support unionization for Amazon. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you unionize all of Amazon across the country uh, because, you know, these corp, these corp Corporations are completely mistreating a lot of their employees and their staff. I mean, what goes on in some of these warehouses is absolutely unreal. Um, and then you were talking about the tuition stuff. Okay, yeah, look, on the tuition front, uh, you know, colleges never used to be this expensive. And we've created a racket and it's all been, you know, yes. monetized yes. And, and and it turned into a financial commodity because, you know, the feds underwrite these loans, the loans can balloon, there's no, uh, you know, there's no impact uh, for the price of the loan to get in because everyone is going to get these loans. Then they realize they're in debt. They're not getting a proper education. I mean, the whole thing is a total disaster. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, we need to move away from a society that you need a college degree to, to have a living. You need a college Absolutely. degree to do things. I mean, if someone wants to go to work at 18 and learn on the job, learn as apprentices, let them. Let them, let them, let them earn a living wage and not have to right. work 80 hours and three mm -hmm. jobs and drive an Uber in order to put food on your table. Agreed. And it shouldn't be stigmatized. And, you know, no. I think, you know, there were reforms, I think, you know, I, I don't think any federal government position should require, you know, a certain level of degree. I would, I would eliminate a lot of the, the mandatory degree requirements, which exist on paper. I think that'll be an easy step to sort of moving away uh, from this system where you're constantly in school, you're outside of the real world and you're just going in more debt. And look, if you want to be an intellectual and you want to go to school more because it's really your passion, that's one thing. But we know the vast majority of people are doing this are doing this because they think it's going to lead to a better job. They think it's going to lead to a better life. They think they're going to make more money. And that's just not the case. And the end of it, they end up with a mortgage and they don't even have an asset. They just have a worthless piece of paper and they didn't really get an education to begin with. So, I mean, as far as tuition free and things like that, I mean, look, I think there's a lot of, I mean, I, I went to a community college. I went to a city school here in New York. Uh, I worked through the whole thing. There are ways to do it now. It's not accessible to everyone. And I think that kind of goes back to the, the societal standards we have that you, that you will not be taken seriously unless you have X, unless you have that degree. I think if we yeah. can move away from that and if someone could just, you know, oh, I want to do a three-month course or a class to learn this skill, we should have that. It shouldn't be so uh, rigid and focused on these four or five-year degrees. I think people should 
people could start working, people could get different educations, people can be more fluid, but where the industries they go, the backgrounds they choose, uh, the, the, the professional backgrounds, and where they choose to go. They don't have to be, I got this degree, I have to stick with this. And if I want to make the change, I have to go back to school for another six years and get all these BS tests and qualification exams. Because we've done all this pedigree stuff and, it, and we've, had a, we've had a class of technocrats and experts that don't know what they're talking about. So it's clear that the whole system is wrong to the core and you could do a lot with on the job training with apprenticeships and trade schools. And if you are going to have any kind of financial support from the state level or from uh, the federal government, then I think you should definitely weigh trade schools and, uh, and, and traditional four year institutions at the, on the same level. I think if someone wants to go into the trades, they should get the same amount of support if they wanted Absolutely. to go into a four year school. Great. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, that is one thing unions do do, though, that's pretty good. Like, there are yeah, definitely that's true. where when you join the union, you get the apprenticeship, you get the training. And, and I was a union member. I was a member of SCIU. <clears throat> and so what I would say. We work with them. And SCIU is a great union because yes. they, they support, you know, uh, obviously anyone who's done any type of manual labor, especially in office buildings and things like that. It is that's a, that's a very good union. And what I try to tell people, if you really want to know which unions in this country are good and are working on behalf of the people in the rank and file and the ones that are not, all you have to do is look at the 2016 election between Bernie and Hillary. Anytime that the rank and file was allowed to cast a vote for the nomination, they cast it for Bernie Sanders. Anytime it was the board that cast the vote, it was always for Hillary Clinton. To me, that can't, it can't be more clear cut than that. Yeah. that. And that was every single time. There was no exception. That was every single time when and like and you're in New York, so you know Randy Weingarten. She is the queen of the teachers' union. There is nothing that gets decided other than what she sees fit. And so, to me, that's an example of a bad union. Whereas a union, good union, bad union. Well, distinctly between the two, I think is important. And listen, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for coming on. And we have your email and I will reach out to you because I am trying to have a nice broad spectrum of board people on this. We would be amiss to not let you talk to your favorite guys. Who is his favorite? Gavin, I just wanted to come on here and say you're doing a really great job. Twice in one night I have to see you. Excuse me. We are totally making (sighs) America great again. Again. Because of you. The young Republicans in New York, and believe me, I know these people, they're great people. They come <laughs> to our places all the time. Although my favorite golf course, as you know, is in Bedminster. I'm sorry it's in Jersey. That's just the way it is. But New York because they wouldn't have your ass in Scotland. Excuse me. That is totally not true. In fact, yeah. I gave a great story once about we'll my friend about in it. Scotland who got injured on the course. Ugh. He had to go to the doctor. Do you like the, the Trump? Time. Do you like the Trump? No, it's- this is good. I mean, the voice is really on point. No, I mean the real Trump. Like, are you a supporter? Like, no, are you? He's a huge I am. I am. I am. How do you feel about DeSantis? Believe me, I think DeSantis is going to be a war hawk. I think he's going to be a traditional kind of neoconservative Republican. I think he's done some good things here and there, but I think overall, I think he's going to govern a lot close to how Romney would have governed or a McCain and less like a Trump. I mean, whatever you want to say about Trump, you know, a lot of these issues we talked about today. Uh, you're going to find a better path with Trump for a lot of these populist views. I mean, Trump, I mean, on the labor issue, he was, I mean, he, he had big meetings with some of the major union leaders in the beginning of his administration and they were trying to find ground. I just think, I think things have become very tribal 
and and partisan yeah. that uh, that that some deals weren't able to be worked out. But look, I'm not saying I, I agreed with everything Trump did, uh, but I definitely think between the two of them, I'm I'm going I'm going Trump all the okay, way. Okay, see, he well, chooses you over over no, DeSantis. He's a, no, he's a really great guy, and Gavin, believe me, my people are going to call your people. And you're going to be working on the campaign. It's going to be really great. Oh my God. And remember, one of the first things I did as president, it was really incredible. I axed the TPP. Yes. It was a terrible trade deal. It was not going to help the American people. It was only going to help the corporate whores of America. Like my congresswoman. I, took, I totally understand. I took care of that. And we will make America great again. Again, I still so think you should be in prison. If you have a question for me before I go, please ask it. I'm no, nobody wants to talk to you. Yes, they do. <laughs> uh, no questions at the moment. It's but it's like yeah. it's and it's hard to take it seriously with the t-shirt, right? No, like it's a t-shirt really just I'm just in my Sunday best. That's all. <laughs> Having a really great time. We love gimmicks. Gimmicks are great. This is a nice great, this is a great shtick. This is a good shtick. No, it's yeah. a really tremendous, incredible, <laughs> bigly shtick, and it's the best of the best. <laughs> we actually went to the Trump rally um, that was down here when it was going on back in 20, right? I mean, what were we, 19? No, no, it was like 20, it was 2018, and it was in Sunrise. It couldn't Sunrise. have been 2018. It no, had to be 2019. Because you and I, you and I. Early 2019, exactly. somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, and here's what I would say. Uh, there legitimately was 25,000 people that showed up. Packed. Uh, Packed. Every single type of, I don't want to say that they're grifters, but, you know, every type of person that can sell merch. Oh, yeah. Was the there. parking lot was lined. It was like going to yeah. a WWE yeah. or, or a monster truck event in the parking lot, 100%. for sure. And what I took away from the event is that everybody's very nice. Uh, the crazies. The people with the who you would think would be waving a Confederate the flag. The people that stormed the Capitol. Yeah, those th that makes up approximately five five percent maximum, ten percent of the crowd. Correct. And so the whole idea that this is the entire party, this is who everybody is, it's not true. No, there's a lot of people mm -hmm. like you and a lot of other people that were at this thing. We were just there collecting ballot signatures because if there's something local Republicans can agree on, they all hate Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So yeah. we were able to get tons of uh, ballot petitions from people for me to get on the ballot there. <laughs> it was a really good, no, it, it's a great opportunity. It, it was. And and again, it's it's all about, <laughs> it, it has a very community <laughs> feel. And, yeah. you know, it's a cross-section. Totally, it is. It is it and is. people don't acknowledge that. There was definitely not a lot of Black people there. No. But other than that, it was a fairly diverse. I've, every, every I've been to a lot of Democrat events that they're all older white people. So I that's think that true. goes. Yeah. That's true too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. But, but you know what? To say that so many members of the black community live in a country where their government doesn't do anything to help them. Why the hell would they want to go well, in? Well, a lot of people are jumping ship and going yeah, over to the GOP. That's well, uh, uh, well, we've talked about it. We've noticed that there's a lot of black men that have been gravitating. More to the GOP. men. Yeah. And it's not a surprise because ultimately, if you're going to be stuck in this system, you might as well work within a system that actually encourages you to succeed. Whereas one side is basically telling you that everything is fine as it is. You don't need to change a thing. Great. So that's, there, that's there is a lot of there is a lot of realignment, and I think there's it's racial. I think it's class, and I do think the Democrats are becoming the party of uh, you know this kind of neo aristocracy. It's a, it's a coastal you know a cosmopolitan globalist type of elite party, uh, and they're losing a lot of their you know traditional voting blocks, and that kind of paved the way in 2016. I think even Bill Clinton had told him told you know, the Hillary campaign in 2016, it's like, why aren't you guys targeting, you know, some of the, the white working class vote? Why aren't you talk, targeting? Ironic you know, coming from him when he's the main right. reason we shafted labor and hooked up with corporate America. 
but he's smart politically. I mean, he could do, he, he'll stab you in the That's back, true. but he, but he at least can look at a map and could look at a chart and say, you're not targeting these people. You're going to lose. And I think they had a bit of a hubris. They think, oh, we don't need that vote anymore. We yeah. have, you know, we have the wine moms. We have, you know, we have the tech bros. We have all these different groups now. We don't need uh, our old base. That's not as sexy anymore. So I think these things are playing into it. I think there's a much bigger realignment happening among uh, Hispanic uh, working class people. I think we're seeing that in New York. Uh, I think that's shifting. I think there's, there's, there's trends that are changing even with the Asian vote, uh, but it's all local. It's all very different. But look, I think these Trump rallies are a huge cross section of the country and society. And I think, you know, they're certainly a motley crew in a way. And you definitely meet some characters. Uh, But at least it's uh, at least it's raw and it's real and it's not astroturfed or artificial. It's a real it's a mess and it's it's chaotic. But I, I prefer that over a lot of the sort of astroturfed artificial kind of political movements we see that come out of the beltway either on the right or the left that are just really they're 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 helicoptered in yeah couldn't have had a better conversation and we should definitely do it again thank you so much for uh, coming on and being reasonable yes it's fine and people know i'll talk to people i'll go on anybody's show i mean i was on michael knowles and that i kind of at this point after him him at cpac i'm a little bit kind of like that was kind of crossing over for me but like i'll talk to anybody you know my message is going to be my message and i appreciate it and i i honestly can't stand when people criticize other people for talking to people you you yeah. get that right? You know what oh, I'm yeah. talking about. Okay. I've I've had I've had some weird uh, crossover with a lot of populist left wing. Like I told you today, uh, yeah. ironically, I was on co- Convo Couch earlier, so I've done a lot of this. Uh, I did more in the past, and uh, I definitely think there's there's obviously tribalism, and there there doesn't want to be any discussions. And like I said, we're not going to agree on everything, but you know, if you do agree on everything, you're probably there's something weird going on. And uh, look, we'll have our disagreements. We could talk about those, but you know, there are a lot of common ground that we can go yeah. over and we can tackle. And I think you know we're on the same page in a lot of things and there's a lot of sentiments that are that are definitely shared yeah, yeah. especially anti-corruption and you know what we should definitely connect you with our friend osiris because you could be a good guest on his show he does a show called middle maga and his show <laughs> used to be called stuck in the middle now he's middle maga but um and he is he's very like he has different things on different issues and he's really kind of a across the board in different things and i like that like I, yeah, I, I think you got to respect the fact that yeah. there are people who are going to view things differently in this country. But at the end of the day, the core issues are the ones that most people agree on. And if we keep hammering that away, you, this is no pun intended, a generational change. That is what is <laughs> happening here. It. And it's obvious that it's going to take some time. But as long as the cross pollination happens this way, yes, there are things we're definitely going to disagree on. No question about it. But I do think that with the issues that we can agree on, that's going to allow us to really get somewhere once we yeah. start getting some real people. We're going to get the corporate the filth out. Yeah, that's the goal. All right, Gavin, please, uh, where can people find you? How can follow. they follow your work? Anything before you Well, go? he's not a content creator. We say that like everybody's a content creator. Where can people find your work? Sure. <laughs> uh, my tweets are my work. Those are my, okay. that's my handiwork. So you can follow me uh, at Gavin Wax, G-A-V-I-N-W-A-X. That's Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram, Facebook. You can follow the club at N-Y-Y-R-C. We're the oldest and largest in the country. And uh, I will have a book uh, be coming out soon talking about a lot of things we just talked about called The Emerging Populist Majority. Uh, so we'll uh, hopefully Hopefully that'll be out by the end of the year and uh you know you'll hear more about that so uh, thank you guys for having me it was often, a great talk and if you get a copy sent to me i read all the books and we have people on to talk about them that's one of the things we oh. do is interview authors so i'd be very happy to have you, you will get a copy 
I will get you a copy. It is not a, it is not a red meat, you know, conservative book. It's yeah. a very, it's a political well, science reasonable. book. It's a political science book. Yeah. It talks a lot about history, uh, the history of the populist movement. And it goes into, you know, all the different realignments and trends. Anyone could read it. It's, it's an analysis. Uh, and uh, I definitely want it to be read by people on the other side, because I think they'll definitely find it interesting out of curiosity alone. So I would definitely send it to you once it's published. Absolutely. Thank we'll you for that. You Thank you for coming on. And we'll be in touch about you uh, helping us out on our board. Okay, beautiful. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Nice, Gavin. Bye-bye. Take care, brother. Well, needless to say, he was a great guest. And I think the conversation was told you, a very exa- productive day today as far as like network building. I had a very productive day as far as network I building today. I tell you, uh, if, if, if there was a movement towards the Teddy Roosevelt Republicans. Can we not massacre um, indigenous people and, and blacks? Okay. And considering that he was, well, actually, no, but blacks. Everybody. Do you want me to get Margaret's book no, out? No, I'm talking about Teddy. I'm just saying. Yes. Do you want me to get Margaret's book out and, and do go through her history of the Teddy Roosevelt years? Because yeah, I could show, well, but then we should that do that. Down. Okay. Now, did you know that Teddy Roosevelt was the first president to host a black man at the White House? And he hosted him for dinner. And you have to see some of the articles that were written at that time in the South about that. He didn't oh. do it out of the kindness of his heart. Actually, he did. It was with Booker T. Washington. Who was a friend. And Booker T. Washington graced him with his presence. Well, call it what you want. That's what I call it. Like I said, considering the time, considering when he was elected, considering the things that he accomplished, considering the things that he did to inspire people to go outside of the two-party duopoly. Exactly. Think- exactly. Frederick Douglass. Exactly. Yes, but he, that's not who we're talking about. Yes. And so, well, Frederick Douglass was in Lincoln's time. Point being, I think that there was a lot of things that we can take away from these conversations. It's been a long but productive podcast. I think Frederick Douglass had something going on with Susan B. Anthony. Who the hell knows? I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah, that's what you bring up. Anyway. Somebody said something about Frederick Douglass. I'm a fan. And that's what you drift to? You drift to that? Well, here's why. Here's why. I don't even... And if anybody's never been to Rochester, I highly recommend it. It's a great town. I, I like Rochester. And one of the coolest things in Rochester is this really cool sculpture garden, this garden that's re- right near the Susan B. Anthony house. And it's a sculpture, a life-size sculpture of her and Frederick Douglass um, having like tea at the in this thing. And it's just really cool to me. And so, yeah, I do kind of equate. And they were colleagues and they did work together and he supported uh uh, women's suffrage well, and most, and by the way, most men didn't even, even black men. It's true. So um, yes, that is what I jumped to. So with that said, we are obviously very grateful for each and every one of you that showed up this evening. Make sure you do smash that like button, get this out there to as many people as you can. What's coming up. We will have on Monday it is the unfortunate 20th anniversary of the Warney rock. So I will be have- remote. We will have a veterans panel that will be joining us. You know we love to do that. And that Danny Scherzen? No. Danny's Danny's off the reservation. So we will uh, be looking forward to that conversation. And then I think we have something scheduled for Wednesday already. Yes, I think it's Bright Green Lies. Yes, Bright Green Lies is next Wednesday. Guys, that's the book that I have been like harping on that I listen to. We're getting ahead of the curve right now in terms of our schedule. So that's good. Yeah, but Bright Green Lies, we're going to have the authors on a week from today. And um, so be prepared, people.
we're talking inconvenient truths. And uh, I got to tell you, it's, it was almost like for me where I felt about the Zionism thing is how I feel about the bright green lies situation, because the whole concept that we focus on as, you know, progressives or leftists or whatever you want to call it is this idea of renewables. And we're going to talk about how that's also kind of a myth and a fallacy that has been used by, you know, big capital to make money when in fact it really isn't going to solve the, the long-term problem. No, and there's a lot. So, of yeah. Happen. So we're going to talk about that. And I warn you people, it is not a pleasant conversation, but it needs to be had. Hey, listen, if we're all going to die, we might as well know how, right? Well, we might as well try to preserve as much of the planet as we can. I mean, that's at wow. least what I'm trying to do. Oh, and then next Monday, a week from like in week and a half, we're having Kevin Gustola on, Both which days. I better get that book in the mail soon because yeah. I, I am not the fastest Otherwise, we're of gonna readers. Have to- postpone. Well, no, I mean, we can definitely still talk all things Julian Assange, which is what the book is about. So. T, it means that he's basically incognito. He is not talking with anybody. Yeah, but it's very politically incorrect to say that I agree. All right, whatever. I'm sorry. I just say off the grid. Why did this come down? All right, we'll talk. Because we're putting the map up. All right, never mind. I'm sorry. You wanted to put the map up. Yes, that's true. I agree. No, No argument there. Okay. Thank you all. Appreciate you all. And TM, still love you anyway. You guys are great and hope you enjoyed the show and we will see you next Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.